You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is What the Heck with Mike Heck on MMAfighting.com. Now, here is your host, Mike Heck. What the heck? All right, welcome to the second edition of What the Heck on MMAfighting.com. My name is Mike Hack. Thank you all for watching or listening. Wherever it is you find your favorite podcast, I also want to give a big thank you to everyone who checked out the debut episode last week. The uh, The feedback was really good, much better than I anticipated, and it's my plan to keep on delivering great guests, great lineups every week as this show will drop every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern time on YouTube and all the podcasting places Right around the same time. We're going to try to shoot for 10 a.m. Eastern time, but could be give or take a few minutes as well. So I did uh, I did want to address a few things right off the bat before we run down the lineup based on some of the comments I read. One, yes, I am aware that I have lost the battle with my hair. I am aware that my head is shiny with the lights because I shave it pretty much every day. Do I wish I had more hair? Yes. Have I accepted my fate? I really don't have a choice, but uh, I appreciate all of you for noticing. Secondly, the the backdrop here, here's the deal. When you are married like I am, there are certain compromises that you have to make. So when we bought and remodeled this house, this was going to be my designated office space. And that's mostly what it's been over the last few months. However, this room is about to become a guest bedroom. That's what my wife wants. So it's kind of a combo platter in here right now. Now, we do have a basement that's currently under construction, and one of the spaces down there will become the new office slash studio. I am very I'm cautiously optimistic that within the next month or so, that job will be complete and the ambiance will be much different. But for the next few weeks, this is pretty much what it's going to look like. We're going to try to make a few tweaks in the meantime, so we're just going to kind of have to deal with that. And uh Lastly, one thing I wanted to touch on, the tough part about pre-recording interviews is that even in this sort of tumultuous time that we're in, the news cycle in MMA never stops. So the first four interviews of the show were recorded on Tuesday before UFC 249 reportedly found a home at Tachi Palace. Kudos to the OG Jeff Sherwood for putting that information out there. Uh, earlier this week. So the first four chats were done before the New York Times article was released. So please keep that in mind with the somewhere on earth references. I still think that's hilarious. And uh, with that, the housekeeping is done. So here is the lineup for the second episode of What the Heck on MMAfighting.com. Rounding off the show this week, we're going to chat with Francis Ngannou. As you've probably heard by now, his fight with Jairzinho Rosenstrike has been rebooked for UFC 249 on April 18th. We'll check in with the Predator later on in the show. You may have seen a couple of short clips of this conversation already on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook as well, but 
We had the chance to catch up with Colby Covington, and it's been a long time since I've had the chance to interview Colby Covington. I think it was right before the Damian Maya fight in 2017, and uh, man, he had a lot to get off his chest, a lot to clear up in regards to Tyron Woodley and whether or not that fight was going to happen at UFC 249. So we'll talk to Colby Chaos Covington on the show. We're going to check in with Laura Sanko, ESPN reporter from Dana White's Contender Series. She's going to join us to talk about what's going on in the world. Plus, she's going to give her insight on the new main event for UFC 249 between Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. Also, the rematch between Rose Namajunas and Jessica Andrade. Really enjoyed chatting with Laura Sanko. You'll hear that later on. Murad Dualish Willie is going to join the show. UFC Bantamweight has been on a tear as of late. He's won three fights in a row, had that impressive win over Casey Kenny at UFC Rio Rancho back in February. He wants to get a few things off his chest. We will chat with the machine coming up on the program. But first, we got to check in with the nicest mf champion in the UFC. We're going to kick things off on a positive note in a, in a tough time in the world with the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. So leading off this week's episode of What the Heck, the one, the only, the great, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. All right, we kick things off in a in a perfect way, in my opinion. Obviously, it's a it's a tough time in the world. There's a lot of negativity going around. So I thought to myself, what can we do to brighten things up? We got to bring on the nicest MF or title belt holder, the number five weight ranked welterweight in the UFC. We need to bring on Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, and here he is. Stephen, how What's are you, man? Up? Doing good, man. Doing good. You know, uh, you know, living the quarantine life, which you know I don't mind. I'm I'm, I'm hanging out. Uh, with the fam a lot, so uh, we're just chilling. Still getting workouts in at the gym because, you know, nobody else can come in, so I just go in and break a sweat. But uh, it's all good, baby. It's all good. <laughs> uh, I was just going to ask you about that because this this obviously is a super interesting time right now, not just as a fighter, but, you know, like you mentioned, as a coach and an instructor at Upstate Karate in Simpsonville, South Carolina, like normally you're hosting after school programs. You're, you're the one driving the bus around to pick up all the kids. And now things have changed quite a bit. What has life been like in the middle of this pandemic? Well, Jim is still our gym is still um, um, we're closed, but we're doing online classes. So. It's pretty cool to see all of our students uh, tapping into our, our, our Facebook Live, and and we're still doing classes on a daily basis as if they would on the, in their normal times, but at home. Um, we, uh, yeah, man, it's different. It really is. I mean, I'm, I'm going to look back. We all are 10, 15 years from now and be like, remember when the world was on quarantine? Like the whole, like the world is like in, 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 in quarantine right now. It's crazy. I mean, when's the first, when, that's like the first time that's ever happened. It definitely in our life, lifetimes. I mean, when this all began, did you think that we would get to this point? Like, I'll be honest, I took it seriously, but I didn't expect things to get here, you know? No, I didn't at all. I didn't at all. I, I didn't expect this, like, you know, to the point of where nobody can go out, especially here in South Carolina. I mean, there's, there's like nobody here. So, but I, I, I saw where uh, Greenville, South Carolina is like the most heavy, heavily, like, um, I guess, traveled spot in in the whole united states right now so i don't think that's a good thing <laughs> but uh but yeah i, I would have never expected that at all it's crazy it is it's nuts so let's talk about you sir you're coming off that great win at ufc 244 against vicente luque at Madison square garden unfortunately you suffered two broken hands in that fight how are the hands doing uh all these months later are they back to full strength now 
yeah, hands are feeling good right now. Uh, that's what took so long, man. It, for some reason, man, the older you get, the hard, the longer it takes to heal. Um, but I ended up breaking both my hands in the second round. It was my right hand that took the longest to heal. I think that's the one that took the most damage. But um, yeah, it's it's feeling good. You know, I can hit a bag right now. Um, the, my grip is fairly weak, but I'm I'm doing physical therapy, working on the on strengthening strengthening it up. So we'll be we'll be back before you know it. So it's I'm I'm excited. Did you know in the second round that you had broken both of them? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's funny because you know in a, in a fight, normally when you get injured, you don't feel it till afterwards. You know when the drilling goes down and you know the pain starts to you start feeling everything. But when you feel it in the octagon, you you know that you're hurt. You know I ended up dropping him with a left hand and broke my left my left hand there. And then while he was on the ground, I hit him with a right hand and uh, fractured my index finger knuckle, which sunk in pretty good. Um, I felt both of them. I went back to the corner. I was like, pops, my hands are broken. And he's like, well, hit him with them anyway. So I'm like, all right. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, everybody's like, Ian, why didn't you finish him in the third round? Why didn't you finish him? I was like, I couldn't. Like, I tried to hit him as hard as I could, but it was like my body wouldn't let me do it. You know, I was like trying to hit him. And right at the last minute, it, I, I would like, I don't know, my body would like uh, pull away. You know, I would hit him, but it, I wasn't sinking it in. It's like my, it's weird. My body wouldn't let me do it. What is it about the relationship between Madison Square Garden and your hands, Steven? I mean, the Mazadal fight, it was two broken thumbs. This time, two broken nice. hands. I mean, you won both of those fights, but still, what, what is going on here? I don't know, man. I don't know. I want to have to really get a good tape job, in, especially on my thumb or something, the next time I step out there. Or I just fight guys with super hard heads, you know? I mean, <laughs> Mazadal's got a melon on him. Vicente Luque's got a melon on him. Both tough guys. Yeah, the first one, I uh, Mazda broke both my thumbs. And then, yeah, this last one, I broke both my hands. What the heck? So I got to get back on my hand conditioning, which is which uh, is my number one priority right now. And not a whole lot of guys do hand conditioning, especially in the MMA scene. But us karate guys, old school karate guys, I've been around it my whole life. My dad's got freaking like watermelons as knuckles. So uh, I'm trying to get to where he's at. So next time I step out there, I don't break my hand again. What kinds of things do you do for hand conditioning, if you don't mind me asking? Because I have no idea. Well, we have a makiwera. I don't know if you heard of a maki. A maki is, is a wooden post. And there's a piece of leather. There's, there's a smooth piece of leather, leather wrapped around it. And then right below it, there's a, uh, like a more of a coarse piece of leather, which is used to condition the skin of your hand. But... On the uh, the smoother piece of leather, um, I'll hit it about a hundred times with my two big knuckles, and then I hit it about a hundred times with my two smaller knuckles. And what that does is, you know, when you're when you when, when you're constantly, you're not hitting it hard. It's just a constant pop, pop, just pat, pat. And um, what it does when you taking that little bit of damage to that area, your body's like, all right, I need to thicken up. So it starts sending calcium to that area and starts thickening it up. You know, making it harder. Uh, my dad goes to the extent of where he'll, you know, he'll slap it a hundred times and his hand, I remember as a kid, his hand is, is, is really dense man. it's very thick, very, very dense and core. His knuckles are coarse, got little calluses and stuff on them, but he used to discipline me. Man. I would get in trouble. He would take the top of his hand and smoke the top of my head <laughs> and make me see stars, man. I'm like, Wee! my ears start ringing. Oh my God. When I, Cause there's five of us, you know, we're all alpha dogs. I got two brothers and two sisters and. We would uh, we would run around like crazy, you know, acting a fool, and 
Yeah, that's like the only way, only thing we would listen to is a good smack to the skull. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, craziness! And uh, sort of speaking of the craziness is obviously uh, like we talked about a lot of uncertainty in the world with the coronavirus. A lot of people are out of work. It's you know pretty much every major sports organization has shut down and postponed their schedules. The UFC, however, they are moving forward with theirs beginning April 18th. Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje at UFC 249's new main event. I've asked a lot of fighters about this, but what are your thoughts, Stephen, on the UFC moving forward during this crazy time? I think it's great. I mean, when everything else is shut down, I mean, they're taking precautions, obviously. You know, they're, they're, I don't think they're going to allow anybody in the stadium, but I think he's got a private island or something that he's, <laughs> he's getting. I'm like, where, what? A private island? That's crazy. I mean, you know, I knew USC had money, but I didn't know they had like that money. And it, and it could be just like a, I don't know, like a, like an acre of property out in the middle of the ocean. I don't know. But, uh, um, and yeah, they're buying a private island, which is crazy. But I think this fight is going to be, I think it's going to be a good one. I think it's really going to be a barn burner because, yeah, everybody wants to see, see the Khabib and Tony Ferguson. I remember the last time they were supposed to fight was, I think, UFC 209 when I yep. fought Tyron Woodley. And, uh, and it, I think Khabib ended up having to be hospitalized or something for the weight cut. But um, Gaethje is just as exciting, just as tough as anybody out there and, and, and a dangerous opponent at that for anybody. So for him to step up and be like, let's go. I, I want this fight. For an interim title, I think it's, I think it's going to be – I think the, the fans are going are gonna to love it. I really do. Um, for Tony Ferguson, I don't know if I would have taken that, man. I mean, that's a tough fight for anybody, like I said, you know. And, uh, but Tony, Tony Ferguson don't care. He just doesn't care. He's, he's, he's asking for it. So, uh, yeah, for sure. I think it's, it's a great fight for both of them. Do I have a pick? No, I don't. <laughs> I know they're both tough as nails. I think Gaethje may have a hard time with, with, um, with the reach, you know, and how tall Tony Ferguson is, but that could play into his game. I, I figured the same thing, you know, uh, Tony Ferguson walks forward. It's going to make the takedown a little easier. And if Gaethje has good timing, you know, Tony Ferguson could run into a right hand or a left hand. And, you know, he's got the power to do it. I mean, knocked out Barbosa like it was nothing. So um, solid fight. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if you are, but I am. I think it's going to be great. I mean, that fight on paper, I mean, how could you not be excited for it? I know that's like a weird time. And I feel like uh, my colleague, we were doing a reaction video yesterday. Alex Kaylee said, the unfortunate part is we're not going to get the the best of both of those guys. It's still a great fight, but we're still not going to get the best of of each fighter. Do you agree with that sentiment? I do. I I, I really agree. I I do with that. I mean, you know, I don't know what the whole deal with Khabib. He knows he's locked up in Russia. I don't think they're letting him let him come in. So. Uh, I don't know if he's knows it wasn't able to, or if he's just not. Do you know that? Do you know the the answer to that? He, I think I it's think kind of to. it's kind of like a combination of the two because the borders are shut down. But then reports came out that maybe if they got like a private plane and they got like permissions from the businesses to fly them out, it was just Khabib. I guess his whole thing was. No one told him where it was going to be. And I still, yeah. to this point, don't even know if anybody really knows where this fight's even going to take place. Yeah, I heard. Uh, I think somebody posted up yesterday it was like you know ufc 249 is happening in some spot of the world like nobody knows <laughs> somewhere where it's at somewhere on earth yeah, i think you might have saw it but yeah <laughs> nobody knows where it's at so you know i don't think we will know it's going to end up just at the arena watch it be not even on a private island watch it be just you know they're just saying it is i don't know 
So, um, yeah, man, I mean, that, that that is true. We're not getting the best of, of, of both. And everybody's been wanting this fight to happen for the longest time. Somebody said the coronavirus happened because that those two fights have, was booked. I don't remember where I saw it, but I thought it was hilarious. But of course, of course, something would happen when you book this fight. It's nuts. Yeah, because even even after 209, they try to book it again for that Brooklyn card before the Dolly incident. Well, I think it was that same card. That's right. And then t- uh, Tony tripped over the wire and, and tore the leg in his knee. I mean, the, they have to do a 30 for 30 on putting on booking this fight, right? Right. Yeah, they have to, man. They have to. God, this is so weird. This is so wild. I mean, but when it does actually happen, whoever wins, hopefully, you know, they'll wind up getting that fight, you know, if Tony wins. If Gaethje wins, well, it looks like Gaethje is going to be getting it. But, um, we, they've been wanting this fight for the long time, for a long time. So, hopefully, it, it, it happens. And, and, and if Tony doesn't actually end up winning, they should just put it on anyway, you know. And it's not be a title fight; it'd just be a fight, you know. So we'll see. So l- let me ask you this: because Dana's got this plan, like the international fighters, they're going to fight on the private island. The fighters who are stateside, they're going to fight wherever this somewhere on earth ends up taking place, and they're going to book cards weekly for the next two months, starting on April 18th. So let's say the UFC comes to you with an opportunity to fight over these next couple of months, and your hands are good to go. And for people I've spoken with, if someone doesn't want to fight during this time, the UFC is pretty understanding, obviously, with, with everything going on in the world. So if they came to you with an opportunity, main event on a big card or something like that, would you take a fight right now? Uh, you know, for me as, as a fighter, the fighter in me says, yes, I, I would, I would want to take the fight for sure. If they take the right precautions, which I think they are, you know, with travel and everything, it's just, you know, South Carolina is full of just grandparents, <laughs> full of elderly people, you know, and we have a lot of kids at our school that are being raised by grandparents who grandparents take them and they're, you know, they're in their eighties and nineties. So it's something that I would never want to bring back to them. You know, because, you know, just the way things are going. So if they make the right precautions, then then for sure. The fighter in me says yes. The 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 karate instructor in me says says it would be it would be very difficult for me to do that for sure. Because, you know, this is my number one thing that I fight for the fun of it. Uh, This is I just love to compete. The money's a bonus. But my job is right here at at the gym. You know, that's what I love to do is teaching kids. So. Um, I would have to sit down with the rent with uh, with uh, the my, my pops, the boss man, and see where we go from there. But the fighter in me says, "Yeah, man, I would love to. I would love to." Am I in shape now? Heck no. <laughs> I've been I've been snacking at home, man. That's all I'm able to do. I may fight at like two o five. You know that could be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but uh, you know I would have to start running or something. I don't know. What are you weighing right now? You you, you I mean, are you I'm near not there? That heavy. I was gonna say. I, no, I'm not that heavy. I'm like, I mean, the heaviest the heaviest I get, like when I feel fat or whatever, I'm like 200 pounds. And most guys in my weight class walk around at that. You know, I'm normally like a 190, 195 guy, and I stay right around there. And sometimes I'll I'll, I'll drop down to like 188 in the 80s. So my body weight goes up and down like crazy. Like you know, um, holidays it goes up. You know, and it's not the holidays. Uh, I stay around the 185, 190 area. So I'm not a big, I'm not a big welterweight to begin with, but I'm feeling it right now, man. When I walk, it's like, you know, you feel the jiggle, you know, <laughs> you're human after all. This is, I mean, it happens to us all. I think we're all, oh, it does. we're all experiencing this right now. A hundred percent, man. I mean, all I got is, 
all I have is Doritos. That's all I've been living off of the Doritos <laughs> and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That's about it. Yeah, I just made my son a peanut butter and fluff. He's just crushing oh, that sandwich right man. now. That sounds so good right now. I'm going to go home and make me one. There you go. <laughs> That's what you do. A little give and take here, Stephen. Exactly. I, I was talking to to James Krause about the pandemic and how things are being handled. And his answer, I thought, was spot on because he told me essentially, like, I understand where everyone's coming from. I respect everybody's decision. But no matter what, someone's going to be upset with the answer that's given. Do you agree with that? Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, there's always going to be somebody upset. Always. It's, it's, it, it really is. And, you know, I know that firsthand. Uh, I feel like I'm kind of a likable guy, but there's always that one person out there that just wants to like, uh, you know what I mean? Especially on social media. It's the same. It's the same everywhere you go. There's going to be somebody that's just, He's going to be upset with whatever answer they get. So, you know, and all you can do is just keep on keeping on, man. <laughs> you got to keep on keeping on. <laughs> I know you've done a, a few interviews recently. It, it seems like Colby Covington is at the top of your list. And from a meritocracy standpoint, that makes all the sense in the world. But, you know, Colby, he wants what he wants and he sort of ignores the rest of it. So if it's not Colby, who I guess from all indications wants to fight Tyron Woodley and that's a big fight. What else makes sense for you? I mean, Leon Edwards is there. Gilbert Burns is nipping at your heels right now. Like, what would make sense should Covington not be an option right now? You know, those, those are always the guys that I'm looking for. Anybody in the top five, for sure. You know, you got Leon Edwards. You got, you know, I've already fought Tyron twice. I don't think anybody wants to see that again. But Colby Covington, for sure. And Leon Edwards would be, I mean, both guys very, very high level in their craft. And, and I think Leon Edwards is the better MMA fighter than both. I mean, um, he's got really good striking and that's what he was in the beginning was a good striker. But now you're seeing him use his wrestling, his jujitsu he used against RDA, uh, when he fought Vicente Luque, you know, he took him down. I was like, what the heck, man, this guy. And those are the, those are the guys you really have to prepare for because they're different every time they step out there. And Leon Edwards is that guy, which is why he's on like a crazy fight winning streak. And Colby Covington, I mean, everybody knows what's going to happen when I fight him. He's just going to shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. And, uh, I mean, his, his, his striking doesn't even compare. So, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, could he hit you and knock you out for sure? But, um, I've definitely fought better strikers than him. And I think Leon Edwards is definitely the, 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 the better MMA fighter for sure. And those are the guys I want to fight right there. And, um, so yeah, man, any one of them, I really don't care. Uh, at this point, you know, in my career, I'm ranked number five, you know, I got a small window to kind of do what I want to do. And, I want to fight the best in the world. I mean, who can say that, right? It's like, an, it's like a, a, I tell people it's like an anime. You find the best guys in the world. It's crazy. I'm like, heck yeah, man, let's do it. Tell my grandkids that. My grandkids say, yeah, I fought the best fighters in the world. You know, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> a couple more things, man. I always uh, appreciate the time. I, I saw a couple months ago, you taped an episode of Family Feud. It was you and Holly Hull, Michelle Watterson, Cejudo, and, and even Forrest Griffin, who had to have been a wild card there. But uh, Oh, my gosh. As someone who, as a child, wanted to be the host of Family Feud someday, I was a little bit jealous of seeing you uh, <laughs> post that on Instagram. What was that experience like being part of that show? It was wild, man. You know, I, I think it was really cool. What, what shocked me the most was, well, I'll tell you what. What was really cool about it is I got to meet some really cool people, you know? I mean, we went up against the, the uh, WBC, you know, boxing champions. You know, um, you had uh, Ryan Garcia was in there. You had Reddick Bowe. You had Holyfield. So you had some really, some of my 
guys, some of the guys that I looked up to, you know, growing up in the boxing world, especially Holyfield, watching him fight Mike Tyson. I was there watching, or, or, you know, sitting on the floor watching him fight Mike Tyson and get his ear bit off. You know, that was the, like, just to see those guys was really cool. And they're really, they're really likable, really cool people, man. Um, and so, and, and to see everything, how it was filmed, you know, it was really cool because if they mess up, they just kind of started over, you know, kind of started the, the, the script over. But once the game started, they, they could stop it and, and, you know, start right back where they left off. If they didn't like what they were saying, blah, blah, blah. So it was, it was really cool to see how it was filmed. It had a blast, man. It had a blast. I will say, Steve, I've, I've been very critical of the Family Feud hosts over the years, but I think Steve Harvey's killing it. I think he's doing a great job. I think he's doing a great job, too, man. And, and you know, I never really I didn't get to actually hang out or talk, talk to him just while we were on the show. That was about it. And because I think they were filming uh, episodes back to back to back. So we were the first on. And then after that, he was going right into another episode with uh, different people. So I never really got to got to hang out and chat with him, but uh, I he was a really nice guy. And on the show, it was a lot. He was a lot of fun. You know, he got the crowd going. I think he's doing a great job. His story is crazy. Did I hear you say you were, did you say that you were sitting on the floor watching Tyson Holyfield, or you were actually at that fight? No, no, no. I was actually sitting on the floor in my undies, man. With the okay, fans. <laughs> right. I was that say. was that was the time my dad was my dad was like, I'll never fight a watch a Mike Tyson fight ever again. I remember him saying that. I'm never watching Mike Tyson fight ever again. You know, when he bit uh, Holyfield's ear, ear off. And it was crazy because as soon as I saw Holyfield, I looked at his ears and you could see where they were sewn back, back on. It was not, it was crazy. I know uh, you and Weidman have been gaming like crazy lately. And the yeah. last time you and I spoke, Chris crashed our interview that we did in Boston. And you guys are talking about this game that you were both obsessed with at the time that I, I still can't remember what it was to this day. But what's the big game all the folks should be playing right now? Uh, Warzone, Modern Warfare, Call of Duty Warzone is the jam. It's the it's the new uh, battle royale game um, that we've been playing nonstop. So I got Chris back into streaming, I guess, because all the because New York's on lockdown, like they can't go nowhere, and um, so he has nothing to do. So we've been gaming like crazy lately. So we'll get on Twitch. He's uh, uh, Chris Weidman. I'm Wonderboy Faith. Twitch.tv slash Wonderboy Faith. So uh, what was cool was the UFC had me host their Twitch and, and watch some of my fights. And I guess my fight when I watched myself get knocked out went viral. And, uh, you know, which is always I think it's fun, man. I think the fans love it when they see me get knocked out or somebody get knocked out and watch themselves do. And uh, it was fun. And, yeah, it hurt. It hurt me watching it again. <laughs> but uh it was good. And then, and then next thing you know, my, my Twitch started blowing up and, and it's getting better every day. And it's a cool way for fans to see you out of the fighting realm, just kind of be you, you know? And that's the one thing that I rage. I rage when I play video games. That is it. I mean, when people's like, wait, did I just hear that come out of Wonder Boy's mouth? I'm like, I'm sorry, but, uh, video games make me rage, man. And that's the, Anybody else can talk as much crap as they want. It doesn't bother me. But when I play video games and I die when I shouldn't have died, I freak out. I freak out, man. It's <laughs> it's fun, though. Everybody gets to see me rage when they don't normally see me do that. But it's a lot of fun. Yeah, make sure you follow that because, I mean, you may never, ever see that again and without it. You got to see one everybody rage out playing video games. Absolutely. First time for everything, right? <laughs> and the other thing we got to check out is your YouTube channel. Did I did, I watched a couple of videos 
your intro to your last video, you said, I'm not wearing my leotard right now. <laughs> what, what was that? Did you wear a leotard in a video? Uh, no, on Instagram. On Instagram. On Instagram. Saw, did you see on Instagram where I did the, I brought the 80s, uh, 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 was it like their aerobic Olympics back? We did like oh a really God. cool challenge. Everybody was doing these challenges. So I was like, you know, I got to kick it up a notch. So me and my brother, Tony, who helps me with my, my YouTube channel, we ended up getting uh, like these little leotards and shorts and the white, you know, fruffy socks and white Reeboks. And we did like a, you have to go check it out if you haven't seen it yet. It's so freaking funny. Go to my Instagram. It's like right at the top. And uh, I said like who did it better and it showed us. I think Kim Peel. Have you ever heard of Kim Peel yeah. on Comedy Center? They did one with the, with the aerobic Olympics. but we So we decided to do one. It was fun. It took some time to choreograph the dance moves, but we had a good time doing it. You have to check it out. Well, I know the next thing I'm doing once I get off the phone here. Uh, <laughs> but, Stephen, always a pleasure chatting with you. We, we've come a long way, you and I. We've been doing these conversations yes. for years, and now we're uh, at a very professional setting here. And I, I appreciate that very yeah. much. I'm glad the hands are feeling better. Keep being you, man. Keep being that positive presence. And uh, thank you for coming on the show, man. Anytime, my brother. And hopefully we can do it again sometime. I appreciate you, brother. You have a good one. Be safe. You too, man. Thanks. As expected, great stuff there from Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, his insight on UFC 249 and whether or not he would even take a fight during this time. Pretty honest and, and pretty fascinating, honestly, if you ask me. Our next chat is with one of the rising bantamweights in the UFC, which in my opinion, 135 from top to bottom, is the most loaded division in the promotion. The top 15 is great. 16 to 30 is really good, too, and even beyond that, honestly. Here's my conversation with one of those rising bantamweights, the machine, Marab Dewalish Willie. We got Marab Dewalish Willie joining us. First of all, I want to give a big thank you on behalf of the MMA fighting staff for your co contribution to the Face the Pain video that we did. You were the, the most animated person singing Face the Pain. That was amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, first of all, fantastic performance. Casey Kenny had looked great in his last few fights. You went in there, you neutralized him. I think he had 12 takedowns overall in that fight. Were you happy with that performance overall? Yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, I, I'm happy. And I make another another record. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for my next fight. And I'm, I'm happy that I make proud my team and my country and my friends. And, uh, and, I mean, I cannot ask more. That was good. We had spoke prior to that fight. You said that, you know, you wanted to go in there, make a statement against a guy who was ranked in the top 15. Do you feel like that was sort of your coming out party, that you sent a message to the rest of the division? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. I think um, now they will, not everybody will take fight with me. Everybody will be, like, more careful. Uh I think, um, yeah, I think, um, uh, like, a lot of guys in my weight class, they're, they're not going to be happy fight with me. So, but I'm, I'm ready for everyone. I'm ready for everyone. And I have big respect for top 15 guys, but I want to, that's all I want. I want only top 15 guys now because I want to move forward and uh, keep fighting. You live and train in New York, but you're originally from Georgia, the, the country, not the state. Did you get a chance to, to go back home after the fight and, and see your family and friends? 
Of course, yeah. After the fight, I take like 10 days off and I go to vacation in Georgia. I, that was best time. Everybody's so happy, so proud of me. And I went to every day. I have a, I have to go every, like almost every national TV, I mean, every TV to every TV show, a comedy show. And I was so busy with the, like uh, uh, doing this and and uh, that's so ha- I was so happy and it makes me more motivated and um, and yeah and it feels good when you after win and go to your country you feel like uh, like celebrate there and it's so good so good. Is that typical for you? Does that happen after all of your fights or was that something that just happened after this Casey Kenny fight? Um, I, I did before I did uh, after Brett Katona's fight from I, when I win Canada May 5th, May 5th and I did uh, after when I fought in Russia in September I did after after win I go to Georgia I win you know it feels feels good but now I can't wait to win again and go to Georgia celebrate there because uh, here only place I can celebrate in the USA it's when I go gym I, of course everybody happy and I, I, I celebrate there and uh, but this is my family here you know because I'm immigrant here and anyways it's a big country and then yeah I have friends everybody happy but it's different here it's so big but in, in Georgia it's small and everybody happy for you and like it's different it's so different you know but it feels definitely good and next time I want to bring my friends Aljo, Ali Quinta and whoever wants to come uh, I mean I want to bring everybody even my coach Metzera Raylong if they came to come I, they waiting for they can I mean they they will be so happy for them I mean so- they, they I mean, they are welcome. They are small country, but we love guests. We love visitors. We love tourists. So. so you're like a rock star at home, right? Like people recognize you and stop you on the streets all the time? <laughs> looks like, looks like, because they like my story because, uh, I mean, I, I when in Georgia, I born villages where like Mount, and I'm after, when I was nine year old, I moved to capital city and, uh, and after, uh, I was doing judo sambo competition. I started fighting, and I I come by myself in USA, and whatever I did, I did uh, by myself. And I was working construction, and now everybody happy for me because I, if I if I did, they can do it. Like a lot of like, we have a lot of talented, lot of UFC fighters, and of course UFC is big. And when everybody saw I'm in UFC, everybody so happy for me. That's amazing, man. I mean, it's it's nice to get that notoriety. Plus, you're you're trying to help out others too, who may be trying to follow down the same path. How important is that for you? Yeah, it's very important, actually. Like, uh, the the some guys, uh, like uh, Georgian guys, they they look look up me and they started fighting. Now they are pro. I we, I have now one friend who who started fight because of me. Now he's. 13 and no, like his fight was in LFA. He just wins. Zico Lazishvili is a great fighter. So, I, I mean, and this makes me so happy because he, he, I, I don't even know. He just said he started bad fight because of me, and now he's 13 and no. I mean, it's amazing. And then I, I just want to show young fighters, young people, young, young, anybody, young, young kids to like, um, right way to become champion and become a good person and uh, show other, another like uh, 
good way to stay healthy, stay strong, stay smart, and then stay away from alcohol, drugs, and video games. I think. <laughs> and video games? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. For my, I mean, I know I, my a lot of my friends, uh, play video games, but after I stop and I, I, I put more focus of my myself and it's I think it's better for me once I stop and I, I can more strong so I, I mean I don't have anything it's it's we cannot mention video games and alcohol but you know it's for me it's just losing time you know we can do something more important I mean I think this is sort of an interesting time to to not be playing video games or yeah, doing now, those kinds of things because you go home <laughs> you go home for 10 days and then you come back yeah. and now we're in the middle of this global pandemic that's going yeah. on how are you handling the uh, the quarantine life? Like, I know you and Aljamain are getting work in in the backyard. Like, uh, the one the the one video I watched was an Instagram live, and you kept hoisting somebody up over your head repeatedly. It was like every five seconds. <laughs> yeah, that was Aljo's brother. You know, like, and uh, he's Aljo's young brother. He's a, he's a, he's a fighter also. He's a he's good fighter. But um, like when I sparring with him, I tell him always. How, I mean, your brother beat me. Now I have to beat you up, like you know, because Aljo always, <laughs> you know, he's always, always take me down, and he's always on top of me now. And I try to do same thing to his brother, so because I cannot do same thing to him. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> they both great. Uh, we we just we just make to each other better, you know, and we just training. But right now we we used to be sparring and uh, we picked Aljo's Aljo's garage. We organized uh, and uh, we started training in Aljo's garage and everything was good. But after I find out her, his wife, no sorry, his girlfriend Rebecca works hospital and then you know you know now that this time it's um, very difficult. You know it's uh, I said. Maybe I should stay home and training by myself. Now uh, I'm trying to run a stadium outside to shadow boxing because uh, it's uh, I, I live with roommates, so I don't wanna I don't I, I know I'll be fine. I um, but I don't wanna risk for you know like it's it's a bad time now. So but uh, but I'm I was I'm so I'm I I'm, I was trying to fight also like this card. I tell UFC if if they. If they need me, I'm ready. Even I'm not training good, I, I'll be happy to jump in and fight. Yeah, that, it's funny you should say that because your manager actually reached out to me and was like, listen, Marab wants to fight. He wants to fight at UFC 249. He wants to get back in there as soon as possible. So you're looking to get back, global pandemic or not, you want to fight on one of these upcoming cards. Is that accurate? Yeah, man, yeah. I mean, uh that, that's all I do. This is my job. I love fighting. You know, I look this way. If I don't train good, and my my opponent should be the same thing. You know, like and then let's fight. Even we can fight catch weight. I can make 35. I can make. I can fight 45. He wants. If someone wants 45, even 55, I don't care. Uh, I just you know like I'll be happy to jump in fight. Now I just listened. Then now it's interview. I'm so happy that I'm part of the UFC and then we still continue because all all world sport is stops. No no one no one doing anything. We just keep keep going forward and this is so amazing. UFC is great and uh, I'm so I'm so 
blessed and I'm, I'm part of the UFC. And this is, I can't wait. I think now how he say, he's not going to stop. He wants to like international five weeks or like he wants like a, make keep 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 making ufc events and uh hopefully not this but i think hopefully next one next ufc i'll be I'll, i will jump in if they if they need me and they ask me i'm i'm ready if someone someone wants fight with me please <laughs> say mention my name and i want to fight so you mentioned learning what you've learned about the virus talking to Aljamain's girlfriend who's sort of in the thick of all of this right now with learning what you've learned why fight now why fight now why not wait until this all settles down a little bit so because uh, I don't care myself I'm, I'm I know I'm healthy I just want to keep healthy and uh, I mean I don't scare of coronavirus I just don't want to uh, like uh, uh, give it to corona I don't want to get and then give it to coronavirus somebody but if if I fight UFC, you know, like then now I said, it's it's gonna be most safe, like uh, fighters or um, uh, commission or referees. They will be, we will be most safe, you know. And uh, I just want, I'm, I, I, we will be fine. I just want to fight. I know uh, in August, you know, like it's it's like same thing. We everybody have to go grocery store, like sh do shopping, like buy food. It's same. You know, we, we, I'm just gonna maybe drive wherever it is. Even if they they told me to come here, I will drive my, my car or I'm gonna bring one friend with me. Even my coach cannot come with me, I will drive there and then they can take me with uh, their own, they own, I think, I, I plan or I don't know how to, you know. Yeah, I was gonna ask about that because Ray Longo has been very vocal about the situation. He feels like these events should not be happening until things start right. to settle down. How has he sort of reacted to you wanting to fight sometime over these next several weeks? Uh, I, mean, I, I don't even spoke spoke about about this him, but doesn't matter what my coaches Ray Longo and Metzera, they are always with me. Whatever I say, they say yes, madam. Let's go. So and I know they will be always, with, always with me. I know they cannot come. I, I know that those Raylongos and Metzera support means a lot for me. This is everything for me. But even, even they cannot come with me. I, even I'm still ready. I, I still want to fight because. Uh, this is we gotta we cannot be stay home and I don't wanna be like uh, like just you know I don't wanna stay home I can fight and uh, you know I show people that we gotta do something and like uh, motivate people I think. Just do me a favor if you do end up fighting, bring a computer or a phone or something. We need Matt Sarah on Skype shouting instructions to you, giving you advice, because that's just gold when he's out there coaching yeah. and cornering you, right? Like you have yeah. to have him there at least saying something, even if it's virtual, <laughs> right? Oh, that's a good idea, man. That's a good idea. We gotta <laughs> do like this. Yeah, that would be, that would be, yeah. He's, he's, he's like, of course, he, he and Ray Longo together, they are like uh, always, always best, always best. Yeah. The last time we spoke, Marab, it was prior to the fight with Casey Kenny. You said your plan was to beat him, then you wanted to fight Sean O'Malley. Is that sort of the the A1 plan here? And if you can't get Sean O'Malley, does somebody else stick out to you that, that makes sense here? 
Yeah, I I would love to fight Sean O'Malley. I I mean, I know he's. Uh, I know he he was, he's looking for looking forward to like fight somebody like uh, like Dominic Cruz or somebody else like you know like big name. But uh, I I mean, please, if someone can make this fight, please make this fight because I would love to fight with him. Big respect and. But I, I mean, that's all I want. But if not, uh, Khabib's cousin Umar Nurmagomedov just came in UFC. He's uh, 12-0. He's, I mean, great, great record. I mean, I mean, if, if I mean, he, that that would be great too. But or maybe he has to fight one or two, and then after, um, I would love to fight with him. And other than this. Anybody, top 15 will be great. You're a you're a very positive guy, Marab. I think everybody can see that throughout this conversation. You're you're a very happy guy. Maybe you can spread some positivity to the folks watching right now. What what's your message to everyone in the middle of this crazy time in the world that we're going to be talking about for years to come? Yeah, I know it's a bad time. Like we all, we all confused. Like what's going on? What happened? When we will be back to normal life? But we gotta stay positive, and uh, we we cannot like uh, depress ourselves. We gotta keep training home. We gotta keep work home. We gotta spend time with our family, and uh, I, we we gonna we gonna go through this. It's gonna it's gonna be over, and but we gotta be. We have to just keep going. We just like no depress, no like. <laughs> No too much sleep and like we gotta we gotta work we gotta make keep busy ourselves you know because this is bad bad this is better than everything you know we gotta keep keep ourselves busy you know the machine wants to fight ladies and gentlemen he wants to do it sooner rather than later always great catching up with you Marab stay safe all the best to you your family here your family back in Georgia I hope everyone's Thank healthy you. and I hope everything works out for you and you can get on one of these cards thank you for the time. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good one, everyone. All right, there you have him, Rob Dewalish Willie. The guy wants to fight. And with a lot of cards to fill over the next couple of months and with him already being in the United States, honestly, I'd be surprised if he didn't get booked to fight in the next couple of months to try to push his winning streak to four fights. So right now, let's get to our conversation with Laura Sanko. She has worn a lot of hats in the sport of mixed martial arts, and she wants to, to make some history in terms of being part of these broadcasts of the future, plus some great insight on some of the big fights coming up uh, on April 18th at UFC 249. Really enjoyed this conversation. Let us say hello to Laura Sanko. All right, we check in with our next guest. You all know her from ESPN covering the UFC, Dana White's Contender Series. She is just all over the place these days. Laura Sanko, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. I'm uh, hanging out in my uh, workout shed, so you can see the the workout equipment behind me. Not a very <laughs> professional setup, but you know we're doing what we can in quarantine, Mike. <laughs> that's right. I, I'm working on a basement remodel right now. I have a punching bag, and that's basically it, and a and a basement that needs to be refloored and sheetrocked and all that stuff. So we got to do what we got to do. Hey. Oop, did we freeze? Up. Uh, I think we're good now. 
There we I go. Feel, I lost it for a second there, but uh, but continuing on, like it's it's obviously great to have you here. But you sort of mentioned what's going on right now. We're in similar positions in regards to the coronavirus being employees, but also spouses and and a parent to a soon to be seven year old. So, what is life like for you and the family during a pretty unprecedented time in the world? Well, I have discovered very quickly that I am not a kindergarten teacher. Surprise, surprise. Uh, it's It's been challenging. Um, it's been fun in some ways because you kind of are forced to be creative with your time and, and forced to be um, a little bit more mindful of, of what you're doing and where you're going. And those are all good things. But if I'm being honest with you, I can't wait to get back to normal. Um, I think my son can't wait to get back to normal. He misses his friends at school, but uh, we're, we're, we're doing our best over here. Thank God he's not older because I don't think I could handle that common core math that they're teaching. <laughs> if I had a middle schooler, I'd be screwed. <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. It's interesting because my son has no idea what's going on. He just thinks yeah. he's home from school, but he can't see any of his friends. And he's like kind of understood it. He's okay with it. Does Does your son understand what's happening in the world right now? Yeah, he does. He's kind of, he's picking up on, obviously he has no context for realizing that this is really unprecedented. So even if you say that word in his life, it's like, well, this is just, this is what's happening right now. So in that sense, I don't think he understands necessarily the magnitude of it. He's, he's a pretty quick kid though. And, um, he, uh, yeah, he's, he's pretty with it. He's not, we're big on not making this about fear and making it more about, Hey, this means we get extra family time and we just need to be careful for the people around us. We're not worried for ourselves cause I don't want to instill that in him, but you know, everybody's got to do their part and together, you know, that, that type of thing. That's the message we're really sending home. But this morning he got really, really frustrated with, uh, our lesson at the moment. He was just stuck on something. And uh, this will tell you a little bit about my parenting. He said, mom, mom, can I please, can I please use a swear word, please? And, I said, <laughs> uh, I, and, and we allow him every once in a while, if he really needs to express himself, if he asks permission, every once in a while, we will allow him to curse. <laughs> and I said, honey, do you, do you really need to? Is this one of the, he said, yes. And he just goes, that effing guy eating that effing bat just ruined it forever. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. We got some, we got some feelings out in kindergarten class, uh, homeschool this morning and uh, kind of cleansed our wah and now we're good to go. <laughs> I think you need to write a book, Laura. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Certainly not a parenting <laughs> manual. I'm not sure. <laughs> So I'm curious with all this going on because around 13 or so months ago, you're coming off a crazy night in London. You're interviewing Jorge Mazadal after he knocks out Darren Till. Leon Edwards showed up in the backstage area and we have three piece and a soda forever and ever. Now in 2020, it's a much different kind of craziness, one that goes beyond sports and fighting in general. What would you say has been the crazier start to a year for you this year or last year? Well, this is definitely crazier because I'll be honest with you. Uh, as much local MMA as I have attended over the years, while I guess, while it certainly took me by surprise because I've never had that happen during an interview, fights breaking out at an MMA event, not really like that big of a deal necessarily. So uh, I would definitely, this, this for sure takes the cake. I mean, a, a national global shutdown is, is certainly, it's a new pace of life. And man, it's tough because um, it's made me realize how much it's made me realize how much I value my job, how much time my job really does take in my life. Cause a lot, it's easy for me to think of, 
oh, I only work when I'm on the road at an event, but it, it's made me kind of appreciate how much work I put up, I put into coming up to an event, you know, the research and, and, and all that stuff. Um, so I, I hope when everything about gets back to normal, I will find myself valuing my job and my time with my coworkers even more. Cause I definitely, I miss them. We're on a, we're on a big uh, text group. So that's been fun, but it's not the thing. Who's all in the group? Um, my, uh, my direct boss, uh, Brendan Fitzgerald, Paul Felder, uh, and a couple of other, uh, key producers sort of, it's kind of like, certainly I have more coworkers than that, uh, that I'm tight with, but that's sort of the, uh, the contender series crew that, not only do we see each other at UFC events, but we're like the holding it down for, you know, all summer long type crew. I'm sure you've been asked about the the thing with Mazadal a million times at this point, but did you at least have a feeling that night after everything went down and him talking to Brett Okamoto afterwards, did you think to yourself, even with this long road he's taken to get to this place that man, like this guy is about to get shot off into the stratospheres here. This guy could be huge right now. I don't think I had enough of an appreciation for how big of a deal that was going to be. But I will say this, I have been a fan of Jorge Masvidal for a very long time. Back in his strike four days, strike force days, excuse me. Um, he fought my good friend and coach James Krause years back. So I, it's not like Jorge, the awesomeness of Jorge Masvidal was not new to me. So in that respect, not necessarily surprising. Um, I don't think I had enough of an appreciation for how much people love the, his prose, just the way he talks, the the phrasing that he uses, and his overall attitude, which is not at all put on or forced, is just who he is, and that's what people gravitate to. So I hadn't really sat down and done the math and like, man, this is he really is a gangster. He says a lot of really interesting, funny, witty things, and he does some crazy stuff like that. I mean, that's a recipe for success. It's a lot like Conor McGregor. I would agree with that. Yeah. And in terms of getting back to work, it looks like the UFC is going to be getting back to work on April 18th. The UFC 249 is going to happen someplace on Earth. We don't know yet. <laughs> Nobody knows. And then we find out subsequent events are going to follow. Did you think this would happen so quickly? I I will say this. I, Dana is a very determined individual. And I know people have a lot of different opinions about whether this fight should be taking place. But as the, the fan in me cannot help but appreciate the lengths that he has gone to and is going to to make this happen. I would love to tell you, I knew about this ahead of time. I still have no idea what this is going to, I have no insider information to share. I wish I did. Um, I can't wait to find out where they're taking these people because as I understand it, even the fighters don't yet know where they're headed uh, for UFC 249. And then there's this island. And <laughs> frankly, I am loving every minute of how this is unfolding. I think it's genius. I think as long as the proper precautionary measures are taken, which it sounds like they're going uh, the extra mile to make sure that that does happen. As long as we're all being safe, we need this. I'm sorry. I need this in my life. <laughs> I mean, you're coming from multiple perspectives here, uh, kind of like John Anik. He was on the show last week. You know, you wear the reporter hat. You're the mom hat, you get the wife hat. So there's a lot of factors in play during this pandemic. Yes. How are you handling it from those aspects? Are you gonna be a part of you know, the 249 broadcast or any of the subsequent events? So normally for pay-per-view events, they have uh, created a new role for me, which is sort of this social media quick hits role where I do live hits 
throughout the fight night um, on the UFC's Instagram page and social media and uh, Facebook page. Um, so for this one, because they're not going to have an audience and they're trying to use as few people as possible, I will not be involved in UFC 249. Moving forward, though, it's completely my boss is like, just listen, hey, you know, we don't know yet. I have nothing to tell you yet. So just kind of stay tuned and stay buckled up. So I'm kind of got my bag halfway packed, which it usually always is. And I'm ready to go if they need me. I would love to be able to make an appearance on Fight Island at some point. <laughs> Fight Island. I cannot yeah. believe we're having this conversation right now, but that's where we are. It's amazing. Like when, when you saw that interview and you saw those stories, how did you react to that? I... I, on one hand, I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot, who, who does that? But, but you know who does that? Dana White does that, right? Like on one hand, how could you not be surprised that we're talking about holding fights on a private island in some undisclosed location where everyone will be jetted in and it's, you know, only invite to the island. Like I, I have so many questions about the logistics for this, but anyway, I, I just, I'm excited for it. I, I, I want to know, I want to go there because I want to know the specifics. Like, how does the food get on the island? What are we eating on the island? <laughs> Is there a hotel on the island? Or do we get taken off the island to go sleep someplace? I, these are the questions I'm dying to know. These are the questions that I am now dying to know as well. This is, this is just so fascinating right now. And there's a lot of criticism towards Dana. And and on top of that, let me let me let me just add. I don't want to know where these events are happening. Like Dana, like I, I'm. I think the mystery is is everything to me at this point. Like wait till like you don't even have to tell the public until yeah. fight night. That's fine with me. I'm with it. at this point. Why not? Why not? We don't need to know. I mean, maybe you just tell them. I guess a couple. I, my I'm hearing, and I could be wrong about. This, but I'm hearing that even the fight and that they are going to be transported uh, together to one location and then taken to the island. I don't know this for a fact, but this is my understanding. I love that, I love that. Don't tell them where they're going, heck, why not? Blindfold them. Yeah, I mean, tell them, just you know, put a gag order on them. I don't wanna know. I'm gonna try to block that, myself out of it. Those never but. work, we know that from tough. Those never ever work, but you know, the, the less time you tell them, the you know, less likely it is to get out. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. There's obviously a lot of criticism towards Dana. We touched on this earlier, but I feel with the criticism in this instance, like you're going to have negative people all the time. They're just going to find something to be negative about. But I think with this particular circumstance, I think people's hearts are in the right place in regards yeah. to the safety of the fighters. You know, like you having questions about Fight Island. We have questions about some of the things that are going to happen to make sure that no one gets infected and so forth and so on. Your good friend James Krause told me last week when we spoke, he said, listen, I get all sides, but either way, someone's going to get pissed off with yeah. the answer. What's your take on that and how people are actually reacting to this? It's true. I think I think what you said is, is right. I think people's hearts are in the right place. Um, I will say that when it comes to Dana in general, people love to hate on Dana um, for a multitude of reasons. And as someone who has grown to know him um, more closely, the number of times I interview him, um, I'll tell you that I, my respect for him, I was never in the hater bucket at all, but my respect for him and what happens behind closed doors and what happens when the camera is not on uh, has grown leaps and bounds. But I do understand people's uh, feelings about this, you know, in, in general, I will say this, 
I live, I live in Kansas City, Missouri, and I have friends that live in New York, and I have friends that live in San Francisco and Los Angeles, and I'll tell you that in talking to those people, this virus looks, this pandemic looks very, very different depending on where you're located, right? My life, while a lot of the stores I like to shop at and restaurants I like to go to are closed right now, and I'm certainly staying home way more than I ever would, um, hospitals here are not overrun. I have a friend who's an ER doctor and, you know, she said, to be honest with you, certainly we've seen some cases, but like, it's not that bad. And I, I don't mean to make light of the people who have gotten it because I actually know a couple people who have dealt with it. Um, and I certainly don't mean to make light of anybody who has um, lost someone to this. And I know that there obviously are people who have, but I'm talking in, in the wide general population sense um, Kansas City just feels a lot different. I think I would probably look at this whole situation differently if I lived in New York, because it is different in New York. So it's easy for me to sit here. I guess what I'm saying is it's easy for me to sit here in Kansas City and say, yeah, we should put on fights. Why? What's the big deal? You know, no one should have a problem with it. I am okay with people having a problem with it, um, but I don't. And I'm, I'm happy that it's happening. And, and like I said, I'm confident that uh, the people I work with, they are some of the most uh, incredible people at putting on events, what they are able to pull off in a short amount of time is astounding. And I have all, all the faith in the world that they're capable of doing this in a safe way. And I think there's something to be said for lifting people's spirits and maybe creating you know, this idea that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and we will get back to life and we will get back to working and things will, things will come back. Well, no matter what side of the fence you are on, April 18th, somewhere on this planet, UFC 249 is going to take place. It was a big news day on Monday. The whole card was released, and then we found out that Tony Ferguson is now going to fight Justin Gaethje for the interim lightweight title. Now, we all wanted to see the fight with Khabib. We all wanted to see it so many times. But this fight between Ferguson and Gaethje, you know, 12 days notice, heck, 12 hours notice. This has to be a good fight, right? I mean, as a former fighter and from an analyst perspective as well, this one has to get your mind racing, does it not? It has to, okay? I, yes, I of course wanted to see Tony versus Habib. That is the fight that should take place, but it can't. So let's move on. Justin Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson is insane. It is absolutely crazy. Both of these guys the biggest takeaway, when I look at this fight, the biggest takeaway, neither of these guys has ever faced anyone like each other. Tony Ferguson brings stuff to the table that you cannot find in anyone else. A lot of it is that mentality of always coming forward, no matter what's happening. He's so creative. He has this variety of weapons. He has cardio for days. And then you've got Justin Gaethje, who knocks a lot of people out, but the biggest thing in his arsenal is the leg kicks. You're not going to find someone, especially not on 12 days now, able to prepare the onslaught of leg kicks that Justin Gaethje brings to a fight. It's just too difficult to do. So I, I love that both of these guys are pressure fighters. Both of them have five-round level cardio. Uh, both of them have, I don't think... I don't think this is this fight's going to go to the mat, but if it does, I'm super interested because Justin Gaethje has the D1 wrestling credentials, but he never wrestles. This might be a fight where he would maybe choose to wrestle. Tony Ferguson, amazing off his back though, so maybe not. I just I like a fight where every 
day, every minute that I really, really start thinking about it, I can convince myself that the other person's going to win. You know what I mean? I can, I can play devil's advocate. I can make a very strong case right now that Justin Gaethje is going to bulldoze Tony Ferguson. I can make a very strong case the other way around, and I love that. Gaethje spoke with TMZ this week, and he said some really interesting things. One that really stuck out to me is he has this mindset before these fights that, you know, this guy's better than me. He's luckier than me. He has everything going for him. I don't. And for some reason, he essentially needs to to add as much to the adversity pile as possible because he thrives on that so much. So from your experience being in the fight game, how common is that? I think a lot of people operate with that sort of chip on their shoulder mentality. I don't know if they necessarily go to the lengths that uh, that Justin does. I think some people, you know, some people it's the other way around and they they, they do more of the positive self-talk and like, I'm the best, um, no one can touch me, no one can stop me, you know, I'm at, I'm at the best level of my game that I ever have been. But I, do, I, I, I liked operating from a, a chip on my shoulder perspective because I had a hard time switching into that mentality because I'm not necessarily a natural fighter personality. Fighting does not come naturally to me. So I had to go there. I had to sort of force my head to be like, okay, this girl, this woman is trying to take everything from me. She, you know, I, I would, sounds weird, but like I would envision my opponent uh, potentially hurting someone that I love, you know, to create that feeling that I had to go to that place. So maybe that's just how, how Justin is. Someone like Jorge Masvidal, I don't think he has to do anything like that. I think he just <laughs> likes to fight and there's no switch for him that needs to be flipped. The switch is always on. So it's person to person, but it's fairly common. I think that people want to fight with that, like, go out there and prove something, chip on your shoulder feeling. A lot of times when you pair up two fighters and a guy's been preparing for a fight for three or four months and he's fighting a guy who's taking a fight on like two weeks notice or less, you're just like, oh, advantage clearly to the guy who's been training all this time. But you got a couple of wild men in here and Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje where all bets are just going to be off here. Like Gaethje has his opportunity. He even feels like if he loses, he doesn't like change his position at all. He just remains yeah. right where he is right now. And if he wins, obviously big things are going to happen for him. Do you think the, that that factors into the fight at all that Tony's had to, you know, had all this time to prepare for Habib and, and Justin probably has been training, but not getting fight ready. Oh, I absolutely do. There are so many X factors uh, mentality wise coming into this fight that it's hard to know which one is really going to win out. You know, for Tony Ferguson to be preparing for Habib for, I mean, obviously we know at this point, not just one time, two times, three times, five times, five times, he has had a camp for Habib Nurmagomedov. And that's another very specific style of fighting. It's pretty obvious what you're working on when you're gonna be fighting Habib. Justin Gaethje never shoots. He's got a great, great wrestling pedigree, but he never uses it. So you know, take that entire part of your camp and other than the exercise that you got from it, it's not really applicable in this fight. So Tony has that uh, mark against him. He's also got this idea that he really is the one in this position that has something to lose, right? Certainly you're gaining uh, fans' respect, you're gaining uh, the UFC's respect in terms of stepping up and making this card happen, but the reality is you're facing a very dangerous guy, Justin Gaethje. He puts a lot of people's lights out He's very effective, he's very powerful, and he's nothing like the guy that you were preparing for. Tony's got a lot to lose in this fight. Justin has a lot less to lose, as you said. However, Justin still has some amount of status to lose because for a long time, people 
the argument could be made that Justin could have been in this position as well. I mean, Tony's the rightful, the rightful guy to be fighting Khabib, but Justin's right there. And if Justin has a bad loss, gets injured, you know, you never, you never know what's going to happen in a fight like this. A lot of people don't come away the same when they fight uh, Tony Ferguson. He is, he's a surgeon, and he will, he'll crush your hands, he'll cut you up, and you never know. Some risks being taken by Tom. I'm just so glad that it's happening. <laughs> more happy to have fights to watch than anything else, especially this fight, because there's no way that these two will not have an entertaining fight. It's going to be bananas. Getting everybody excited here. The uh, the other fight I want to get your take on, the rematch from UFC 237, Rose Namajunas and Jessica Andrade. What a crazy fight that was, because Rose looked so good in that first round, and many say, and you can agree with them easily, that that was the best round of her career. And then oh in the second... You know, Jessica gets a hold with a hold of her, slams her in her head, and the fight was over. And it was super scary to watch. But yeah. then Andrade loses to Zhang Wei Li, and Rose hasn't fought since the Andrade fight. What are your thoughts on on this rematch coming up at UFC 249? I love rematches because I'm kind of a fight nerd in the way that I like to to think about how I can see things playing out. So I love the fact that you have a baseline. We know what happened the first time, and what that tells me is two things. Number one. As you said, Rose's game in that fight was the best I have ever seen in her career. She looked absolutely phenomenal. The maturation in her fight game from the Yuani and Jencek fight into that fight was absolutely incredible. Her footwork, her balance, her precision, her jab, she was absolutely eating Jessica Andrade up. And there were a lot of moments where you could see in Jessica Andrade's face where she just didn't have an answer in that first round on how to close the distance and do what she does best, which is get in there, get her hands on you, dirty box, and land punches that way. Um, that being said, Jessica Andrade now has an idea of what she needs to work on. She has a very specific list of things that she needs to do. Namely, I think she really needs to work on that outside kicking game. I mean, what Rose had a pretty significant speed advantage when it came to the footwork. The first thing when you do when you're dealing with someone who has faster feet is to chop those feet apart, chop those legs down, slow her down a little bit. And when you slow someone down, you also take away the power. And it's so funny to think of Rose as being a powerful puncher because she's not built like a powerful puncher. She doesn't throw like a powerful puncher the way that Jessica does, but she is powerful. She has knocked down, I believe, more opponents than anyone else in the strongweight division. You might have to fact check me on that one, but... Um, and then you've got Jessica, who sort of, you know, she does, she she throws like a little uh, Vanderlei Silva. You know, she's got power in every single punch, but they're very tight, and she is very short. So to be able to close that distance and effectively tangle with Rose, um, you either have to stick and move like Yonjentek did in the second fight, although I understand that she still lost that fight, but she did much better, of course, than the first one or you have to completely close the distance and stay on her the entire time. But again, Rose is such a slick submission artist. You know, she she was winning virtually every moment of that fight until she made uh, a mistake. And even then, the mistake that she made, some people are like, that's such a rookie mistake. You always know that if someone picks you up, you let go of the submission. That's true, but if you remember in the first round, she held on to the, to the Kimura grip and almost armbar her. So it's understandable why she did a quick risk assessment in her head and held on to it, because it almost finished the fight in the first round. It just so happened that Andrade 
was wise to it, was able to rotate her a little bit further. And then, you know, we had the knockout. But I think Rose sticks to the same game plan. And I think Jessica has to change quite a few things to make this fight look different. But she's had the time and uh, she's got the footage now to be able to do that. It's another really fun fight on this card, but you know, kind of looking at it from top to bottom, I'm a big under the radar guy. I like taking yeah. a look at under the radar fights, the next potential superstar, so to speak. What's sort of that fight that you're looking at, the one on a, you know that may not be on people's radars right now, heading into April 18th, but it will be afterwards on April 19th. What kind of sticks out to you? I don't know how under under the radar it is, but as an individual, I think he is under the radar, and that's Jorgen De Castro. Jorgen De Castro versus Greg Hardy. There's two fantastic heavyweight fights on this card. I mean, when I saw Jarzinho uh, Rosenstreich uh, versus Francis Ngannou, holy cow, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see that. But I think a lot of people, it's not under the radar, a lot of people know that that's going to be an absolutely incredible fight. Jorgen DeCastro versus Greg Hardy, and you know, no matter what your feelings are about Greg Hardy, you can certainly see that he uh, as, has sort of, as matured as a fighter. He's taking steps every single fight he comes out there, and you can see he's added a little bit of a piece to his game, but he's had some weird finishes, some inhaler game. He's stuff just has never been uh, clean. Some kind of weird stuff you imply that he's not clean, but you know, the wins have not been uh, perfectly definitive. And I know that he would like to have that. You're going to cash though. Oh my gosh. I remember when he came on to the contender series, he was uh, basically, purely a kickboxer and he's taking on a D1, like three time all American national champion wrestler in Alton Meeks. And he had been pretty open that his game plan going in, he said, I'm gonna kick his leg. And if I can kick his leg three or four times, I'm gonna win. And I thought, do you really wanna kick a wrestler in the leg? Cause that's pretty much what you don't wanna do to a wrestler cause they're gonna catch it and they're gonna take you down, right? Like that's the one-on-one playbook on how not to fight a wrestler. He went out there. And that's exactly what he did. And when he landed those leg kicks, I mean, I've never heard a leg kick like that. I don't ever want to see a leg kick like that again. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. And then first fight in the UFC knocks Justin Taffa out cold. Uh, this guy is very exciting. Uh, he's got a lot of, he's got a fantastic kickboxing background, comes from a really tiny uh, island country off the coast of Africa. So he's, He's lived a life of adversity, and I get really excited about people who have um, stories that I can kind of, you know, get excited about. He's definitely one of those people. So this whole idea of, of where this fight's taking place, the circumstances under which people have been having to train, certain fighters thrive in that and certain fighters would not. I'm someone who likes routine. I like my stuff to be a certain way. I like to have things planned out. I like to things to work the way that I want them to work. And if you have my personality type, you would not be doing well in these circumstances because I guarantee you, no one's been able to fight or excuse me, train that they're used the way that they're used to training and the logistics, the travel, is your team coming with you? Are they not coming with you? So much is up in the air and the type of fighter that Jorgen DeCastro is coming from where he came from, he had some difficulties when he was having his contender series fight as well. This is going to be no big deal for him. So that's going to be a very fun fight. 
both guys coming off contender series. You're yeah. into Castro is a, is a stud, but you mentioned, I love, I'm just going to say it, say it right now. I love the contender series. I, love I've it. loved it. Every season that's come out. I look forward to it. I mark it on the calendar. I love the fights, but like you mentioned, I love the stories behind these fighters because they're amazing. And I've gotten a chance to talk to a lot of them over the last couple of years, but you know, being a part of that show and being able to help tell those stories and, and talking to these fighters after wins and even right after they get signed to the UFC and get to see their dreams come true. Like how, how much do you enjoy being a part of that show? It's, it's my favorite thing that I do by far. You know, I, I certainly do some things that would be considered maybe higher profile holding that ESPN mic, you know, always feels kind of cool, but um, nothing, nothing compares to being inches away from someone who just changed their life. And, you know, just that emotion radiating off of them. It's like a running joke that any moment now, Sanko's gonna burst into like unstoppable, ugly cry on television because I'm an emotional person and I, I get so invested in every single one of these men and women that come through there, whether they win or lose, whether they get the contract or not. I spend so much time researching them. And I think having fought also, I know, I just, I know what it takes. I know the, the sacrifice that it takes um, to do this sport and to be able to share that moment with them in such a life-changing moment is just, it's incredible. It's by far the, my favorite thing that I do. If I had to give everything else up in order to keep that, I would for sure. Has there been any discussion, especially after this conversation we've just had about maybe adding your voice as an analyst on the broadcast booth for the contender series, like maybe a three person booth, like as if you didn't have enough on your plate on Tuesday nights, because you're interviewing the fighters, you're the ring announcer, you're running back and forth. You got to get Dana's decision, all that stuff. But yeah. you have experience in that role and you were a professional fighter. And that kind of seems like that would be a big goal of yours. Is, is it not? It is, yeah, I would love to do that. Um, my hope is that I, I can, I can, you know, weasel my way in there and, uh, and make a case, that there could be potentially a third voice in that booth at times. You know, I think, and it's not just women fights, uh, you know, the female fights are certainly, uh, it's the most obvious case to make that I might have some insight that my male counterparts wouldn't, but it doesn't really matter. You know, I, I know a lot of the guys coming through there. I certainly know uh, the fight game and I think I could certainly add to the storytelling and the broadcast and the analysis of what's going down. I do hope that that happens. I think uh, I'm down for it. It's interesting because during the contender series, the analysts or the commentators in that in that role don't sit cage side because it's so quiet and they don't want the fighters to hear every single word you know that the commentators are saying. But I've already had it mapped out in my head. I could do it. I could help color commentate the fight, run in there, announce the winner, run back do the interview, and then sit back down. It's a, it's a triangle. It's very easy. It's very easy. So, yes, um, I hope that I have the opportunity to do that, and I appreciate you uh, suggesting that that's something that you might like to see, and I hope that there are others uh, that would like to see it as well. We'll see. Yeah, or you could just do the interviews in the in the octagon, in the cage. You're already in there anyways. I can't remember. The There's some logistical reason why we don't do that, and I can't exactly remember what it is, but um, either way, easy enough. I mean, the little interview room I'm in is obviously a short, a short walk. I think part of it too, is they enjoy the, uh, <clears throat> when the fighter walks past Dana before they go talk to me, a lot of good moments happen, uh, when the fighter interacts with Dana. So there's, there's some television -y reasons, but yeah, I'm up for any of it. Why not? 
I've learned so much in this conversation, Laura. I, I really appreciate you jumping on here, talking about everything, breaking down these big fights as we try to get back to some semblance of normalcy here in the world. And, you know, I appreciate you jumping on. All the best to you and everybody at home. Stay healthy and safe. And selfishly, I look forward to hearing your voice on a UFC broadcast sooner rather than later. I hope so, Mike. Thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on. I had fun. Let's do it again. All right, we're going to check in right now with Colby Covington. He always seems to end up in the news these days. He was once again over the weekend. We heard Tyron Woodley's side of the story. Uh, he was on with ESPN talking to Ariel Hawani. He gave his side in regards to trying to get a fight put together with Colby Covington for April 18th at UFC 249. Colby Covington, as you would expect, does not agree with Tyron Woodley's stance on this. So we're going to hear his side of the story, and we're going to get to that right now. All right, let's move ahead to our next guest. A lot to discuss with this man, Colby Chaos Covington, joins the show. It's been a minute since we've spoken, Colby. How are you? I'm doing good, man. It's it's uh it's an honor to finally talk to you again. It's been a while, but you know you were one of the journalists that was there for the uprise and the and the rise of my journey. So you know it's it's good to talk to you again while I'm at the top. Yeah, it's kind of surreal to go back and think about it because you were having a hard time finding fights the first time we had a we had a conversation. You were out holding signs, you know. We'll we'll, we'll pay, you know you're outside like just hanging up signs, trying to beg for fights at this point. And now you're in this position you're at now. When you look back at those days, is it kind of surreal to think about? It is surreal, but you know, I, I always believed in myself, and I always knew that there was going to be a time and a moment where I was going to be in this position for you know super fights and main event fights and, and big money fights. And you know, now that it's here, it's great. But looking back on where we came from and where we started from, you know, from being on the corner begging for fights, literally, I'd fight for free for food just to eat. That's how bad I wanted to fight and how much I love to compete. So to be here now and and making multi-six-figure paychecks, is it's a blessing, and and the best is yet to come. You haven't seen the best Colby Chaos Covington yet. How has quarantine life been treating you? What have you been up to during this crazy time? Has much changed for you? No, much hasn't changed besides maybe a little bit better social distancing and, and just being aware, you know, of washing my hands, what you're touching, what, what you, if you're putting your fingers in your mouth or in your eyes or you're going to pick your nose you know you got to be aware of those things those are the things that you can spread the virus and or you can get the virus so you know if anything it's just opened up my mind to being more aware of things around me and and uh just being more cleanlier and, and safer so let's let's dive into what people want to know at this point we saw ufc 249 is set for april 18th the whole card is out it's released and a fight we didn't see on there that people may have expected to see was a fight between you and Tyron Woodley. So to sort of set the scene, after Leon Edwards was supposed to fight Tyron Woodley on that London card, then it got canceled because of the coronavirus pandemic. They were talking about moving it to the U.S. You stepped in. You were offering to fight Tyron Woodley on less than a week's notice. Fight gets canceled. Now on Saturday, Tyron and his team go on Twitter, and they said that they have agreed to terms to fight you at UFC 249. He has since said that you have turned him down. He said your mom was Carol Baskins, and all sorts of crazy stuff has come out on Instagram and things like that. But you and I spoke briefly on Sunday, but can we sort of clear the air right here? Like, what happened from your perspective in trying to put this fight together for April 18th? Yeah, you know, I, I offered up my services to fight the bitch Tyquil Woodley on six days' notice. So if you don't if you don't think that I'd fight the guy on twelve days' notice, you must be out of your mind and you're delusional. You know, the thing is, is I'm not second fiddle. I don't play second fiddle to anybody. So 
what I'm trying to say is when the Tony and Khabib fight fell apart and they said that that fight wasn't going to go on, I called the UFC. I said, hey, I, I want that main event slot. You know, I want to drag Woodley around for five rounds. I want to fucking talk shit in his ear in an empty arena in front of the whole world to see him. But I want it to be on free TV because I want every single person in the world to be able to witness this ass beating, witness me absolutely retire Tyron Woodley. And so we never have to hear the fake news out of his mouth again. And, you know, once it, they found out that they wanted to do Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gagey, they, they didn't really talk about that. They talked about maybe pushing the fight back a couple weeks. And now we're talking about maybe doing it on Dana White's fight, fight Island. But let's be honest, you know, this is not a prelim fight. Yeah, Tyrone Woodley could have fought in the prelims versus, you know, Leon Scott or some guy named Dilbert. But, you know, that those are other bum, no-name jobber fights. You know, you're talking about a king. You're talking about the main event. You're talking about the people's champ, America's champ. You're talking about Donald Trump's favorite fighter. I don't play second fiddle to nobody, especially some lightweight little jobber gatekeepers. I'm a main event, and I deserve a main event spot in five rounds. And anything less, I'm not going to fight for. So I want to fight for the people, and I want to come out, and I want to end Tyrell Woodley, but I want my main event slot, and it has to be pushed back one week. So be it. So let the world know. Let Tyrell Woodley. We're going to do this. We're going to do this on Dana White's Fight Island. We're going to do main event, and and it's and the whole world's going to see how exposed he gets. So on Saturday, Tyron says, I'm in. We said yes. When did you and your team begin speaking with the UFC about your potential involvement from that point moving forward? Yeah, we've been talking with the UFC, my management team over at Ballinger Group. You know, Lloyd and Jeff, they do a great job of, of uh, getting fights together and, and uh, doing a great job of reshuffling deck for guys. You know, they, they manage Ferguson as well, so they're a great management team. And I just leave it up to them. I offer my services. I, I really wanted to fight Tyrone Woodley on six days' notice to save the UFC London main event because I thought that they were coming to the U.S., and I thought it'd be a great opportunity to save that fight and, and do it on ESPN for the people. Why? While the people are stuck at home, I can be the one, the savior to save sports. Sports is dead. Everybody's dying for something, and they're dying for this fight because this fight is multiple years in the making. This fight is beyond personal. There is a serious beat between me and Tyrone Woodley, and it needs to be settled. And the only way it's going to be settled is we're going to do it on Dana White's Fight Island. I'm going to end that bitch. He's going to be dead, and then they can just throw his dead body to the sharks in the private island. So was there an official fight offer, just not in the main event spot? Was that the biggest point of contention here? To be honest, I don't think there was a fight offer. There, We came to an agreement. We were ready to fight him. But I don't know. They couldn't get the logistics right. And I guess uh, Sean Shelby and Hunter had a full card already for April 18th. So, like, we're just going to go ahead with this. And they also recognized and realized that me versus Tyrone Woodley is a bigger fight than Justin Gagey versus Tony Ferguson. And if you look at the numbers any way you crunch it, that's just that's that's true news. That's not fake news. So this fight needs to be a main event. Don't let Tyrone Woodley on the prelim so he can get three three rounds because we know Tyrone Woodley's washed up. We know he can't fight. We definitely know he can't rap. So he needs to come take this ass beating, take his losing paycheck, and go back to doing whatever the fuck he was doing, talking about the Kardashians on TMZ or whatever the fuck he likes to do on his spare time. So for you at this point, doesn't matter if it's the 25th or May 2nd or May 9th, you're in. I'm in 100%. I, I'm on this interview today. I 100% put forward. You, if, if this fight doesn't happen, you'll know who the coward is, and that's Tyrone Woodley. If this fight doesn't come together, this is because the washed-up Tyrone Woodley is scared to fight, and he's looking for an easier paycheck. I'm in. I'm ready to go. I was ready to go on six days' notice. I was ready to go on April 18th. 
It doesn't matter. Let me main event Dana White's Fight Island live on ESPN for the people. Because I'm the people's champ. And I want to save sports for the people. <laughs> on a serious, like, just seriously thinking about it, how likely, if you could give a percentage to it, do you feel that this fight will actually happen in the next month, maybe two months? Do you, do you feel confident that this will be the fight that will be made, that you're going to fight Tyron Woodley sooner rather than later? Man, I promise you, I'm on both hands and knees begging, praying that it happens. You know, the thing is, is I've been running down Tyron Woodley for so many years now. This guy, I mean, we've trained together in the gym, so he knows how good I am and he knows he can't stop me. So, you know, this is the same guy that I scared into an elective shoulder surgery. He was ready to fight lightweights when I was the number one contender, but then he got elective shoulder surgery and, and the division must move on. I must defend my title and I fought a scarier guy. This is also the same Tyrone Willie that was scared to fight Robbie Lawler, and I had to come out and fight Robbie Lawler with half my face torn off it on four weeks' notice with no training camp. This is also the same Tyrone Woodley that's coming out in interviews saying he's broke and he's desperate, and we all know he can't rap because that shit is pathetic, man. The shit he'd be rapping about these days is absolutely washed up garbage, and, you know, I want to take the trash out. That's what I'm going to do with Tyrone Woodley. I'm going to take the trash out, and, you know, if, if we're talking about percentages and how likely it's – to happen, you know, it's 100% on my side. The ball's in Tyrone Woodley court. Is he going to take the ball and leave the yard? Or is he going to show up and take the ass beating like the pussy bitch he is? If for some reason this fight can't get put together, is there anything else that will get you back in that octagon within this time frame? Like, especially during this time of uncertainty with the coronavirus, is it the belt? Any other fight stick out to you that would, would at least get you in there over the next two months if it's not Tyron Woodley? Yeah, there's, there's really only a handful of fights that I'd be willing to take. Obviously, I deserve my rematch. You know, people aren't talking about how I won rounds one, two, and four, and I was beating Marty Fake Newsman up for 24 minutes between, but before Mark Goddard gave him a life raft and saved his life. That was a bullshit stoppage. Fake ref. There was fake nutshells. I mean, the corner audio, they stole my corner audio, and that played a huge factor in the fight because his brother's telling him in between rounds, oh, his, his jaw's hurt. You know, you know you're, now go go get him, you know, and that, that, that gives – you know, a little adrenaline boost to a fighter if they know a guy's hurt or whatnot. So, you know, besides that, you know, I won that fucking fight and I want my rematch with Marty Fake News in one way or another. But, you know, I'm willing to come out and save the day. I'm willing to save the day for the people. I'm willing to save the day for the UFC. And I want big fights. And Tyrone Woodley, it's a semi-big fight. Everybody knows I'm the A-side. No one gives a fuck about Tyrone Woodley because he doesn't give a fuck about us. He doesn't care about America. He's a commie fucking scum. He's a liberal piece of fucking shit. And there's nothing fucking more heated right now in politics than the red versus the blue. And, and that's why this fight needs to happen. And if it doesn't, then I want my rematch with Marty Fake Newsman. I want a beat up journeyman, street Judas, Jorge Masvidal, or, you know, another big money fight. Maybe a Stockton soy boy, Nate Diaz or Nick Diaz. Besides that, you know, I got nothing to prove. I've already won a world championship. I'm the best fighter in the world. And, you know, I'm just going to keep defending my belt for the people and fight, you know, the most worthy opponents. It seems that in in a way, Tyron is also lobbying for a rematch with Kamaru Usman. He said he's kind of, you know, put, he's chalking that up that night up to a bad night. It wasn't him in there. He's kind of going after Kamaru right now because he thinks you turned down the fight. Do you see the UFC going in that direction? Any chance of that happening at this point? Zero percent chance. You know, Tyron Woodley absolutely got decimated in that fight. He lost every second of every single minute of every single round in that fight versus Marty Fake Newsman. So that's not, you know, you don't do a rematch after a fight like that. You know, you do a rematch after a fight like me, where it's completely 
it's a close fight, but I'm winning the fight. I won one rounds one, two, and four. I dropped him in multiple rounds, had him wobbled, and almost finished him multiple times. You know, I threw a head kick, and then he's faking an eye poke on the other side. Dude, there's cameras, Marty. Do you realize you're going to get caught on camera and people are going to replay this and see how, how you faked, fake acted a fake eye poke just to get momentum and, and shift the momentum and get a little break because you're getting tired? I mean, do you not see that I kicked you right in the liver and you can't fake a nut job, you know? Maybe your ref was paid off. Mark Goddard's a fucking clown, and, and good thing the border's closed because he needs to stay the fucking England and never come back to America because he's a fucking clown. No fighter should ever let Mark Goddard rep their, their fights. That guy has no fucking reason he should ever be in a fucking octagon. I mean, look at the fight. I mean, even the ending. I mean, there's seven shots to the back of my head. He didn't do anything. And I'm intelligently defending myself, and he stops out. And I stand right up. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm on a double leg, dude. I'm working, bro. Why are you fucking stopping the fight? When we're, it's literally, I'm winning the fight. I'm winning 24 minutes. The judges have me up on the scorecards three to one. Like, what the fuck are you doing, Mark Gardner? This is a world championship fight. I signed up to fight to the death. When I fight in the octagon, UFC knows it's kill or be killed. And that's what we signed up for. This is, we're not playing fucking patty cake. If you rob me out of being killed or be killed, it, everybody knows it was a fix. Everybody, everybody knows it was a fix. Everybody knows I got cheated. So I want my rematch from already fake newsman. Or, you know, I can end Tyquo Woodley's career. Or, you know, Journeyman Street Judas, you know, he can get that work too. But if it's not any of those names, you know, I'm just going to keep training, keep getting better. And, you know, you'll, you'll see me back one day. Do you feel like the only way you can get that sour taste out of your mouth from that night is to fight Kamara Usman again? Or do you just feel like you could get it out fighting Tyron or anybody else at this point? No, I do. I, I seriously have the biggest chip on my shoulder, bigger than I've ever had in my life. And there's only one way I'm going to get that chip off my shoulder, being able to get it run back with Marty Fake Newsman and have a level playing field. I mean, I'm not just talking about the bad refing. I mean, the corner audio, you know, the, the commission made a joke out of the fight, you know, before the fight, you know, I like, there's a lot of stuff that happened to me that people don't know about. So my preparation and, you know, maybe, you know, getting my food tampered with before the fight, there's a lot of things that went into play. What I'm trying to say is that was my worst night and that was his best night. And you saw what happened. I still should have won the fight. So what happens when I fight on an average night or my best night? Marty Fake Newsman will get blown out of the water and I will get my title back. And he's got nowhere to hide, man. There's no other fight in the division that makes sense for him right now. And once Journeyman uh, Judas, Street Masvidal, you know, prices himself out of that fight, you know, Colby Chaos Covington is going to come and save the day for the people and save the day for the UFC. Wait a minute. Your, your food was tampered with? What happened? Yeah, man. I, you know, I didn't want, the thing was, is after the fight, I, you know, I had multiple interviews and, and I didn't want to come out making excuses. You know, I didn't want to come out, you know, saying, you know, this is what happened, you know, because I feel like great athletes like Michael Jordan, you know, he rides to the occasion through the food poisoning. He rides to the occasion, you know, these things happen, but it's, this really happened. You know, all my coaches were in the room the night before weigh-ins, you know, I had some bad chicken and, and I was puking. I puked probably 50 fucking times the night before weigh-ins. Didn't even have to cut weight because I was already on weight the night before because I threw up everything and I was dehydrated and sucked up and I never have to really cut weight. It's like a 10 pound easy weight cut. So that really affected me. I just remember how I felt on fight day on Saturday. Like my legs felt, felt weak, you know, my, my body didn't feel right, you know, and that, and I feel like I was just getting touched to the body and, and like, it felt like I was getting stabbed and that's never like that. I have a very strong core, but I just knew that the food poisoning played a big role in the fight and it wasn't my best performance. And that's why I want to rerun with a fair ref on a fair playing field. And I guarantee it will be a completely different result. My hand will be raised. 
with everything happening to you and dealing with everything with the weight cut and then on fight night, do you take solace in the fact that you still performed as as well as you did that you were up on uh, one of the judges scorecards was even in the other one and that you you went all the way to the end? And, you know, a lot of people felt that that fight shouldn't have been stopped when it was stopped. Do you at least take solace in that? I mean, I take a lot of pride in knowing that I am the best welterweight on earth right now. There, There's no questions. There is no doubt about it. That, you know, the Marty Fake Newsman is not on my level. He knows that now. He knows that that was his best night. You know, he got to take some time off. I had to go fight the world's scariest man, Robbie Lawler, two months before that fight as a tune-up fight just to get to him because he's faking injuries, faking excuses, just like he do, likes to do. That's why he's Marty Fake Newsman. But I'm here to make the welterweight division great again. And, you know, yeah, that was part one. But guess what, Mike? There's going to be a part two, and there's going to be part three. There, there, there's going to be a sequel and a trilogy to this Marty Fake Newsman fight. I promise you that. You have not seen the last of me of Marty Fake Newsman. I'm going to get locked in the octagon with him, and I'm going to end him for good next time. How is your relationship these days with Dana White? Like, you guys have been on this roller coaster ride for a little while, and it seemed like, at least in his eyes, you've turned the corner with him after that fight with Kamara Usman. How has that relationship been? Yeah, it's, it's getting better, you know. Uh, you know, he, he understands what I'm doing. He understands the business that I bring to this company. And, you know, I, I put myself out there, man. And, and not a lot of these fighters want to put themselves out there because they're scared of the fall. But, you know, I, I know I'm not going to fall. I know I'm the best. And, and, and I'm willing to put it all on the line. And, and I'm willing to make it exciting and entertaining because that's what it's all about. This is entertainment show business. I want to make it exciting for the fans. I want to give them, you know, some hope, some inspiration. And that's why I do what I do, man. You can hate me or you can love me, but you will be interested. And, and, and either way, I don't care, man. My, my haters, you know, they're just as good as the people that love me. So, you know, I'm trying to make I'm trying to do good things and, and make it exciting for the fans again. Do you as a fighter appreciate what Dan is trying to do right now during this global pandemic? Like everyone's shutting down. All the sports are taking a break. Dan is saying, you know what? We're going to go out there and try to find solutions and put on these fights and and do them as safely as possible. Do you appreciate what he's trying to do to try to keep this train moving? Yeah, absolutely. How, how could you not appreciate what Dana's trying to do? You know, he's trying to save the sports world. He's trying to give ESPN something to talk about. He's trying to give the people around the world that are stuck in their houses. You know, people are in quarantine. People are, you know, they can't go do anything that, you know, people are at home and they're miserable, man. They can't, they're, they've watched every Netflix show there is to watch. You know, they've, they've done every home workout they could possibly do. They've done the extracurricular stuff that goes on in the bedroom. So what else can they do? They want to see sports. They want to see action. They want to see violence. They want to see entertainment. They want to be able to bet. I mean, these people are betting on the weather, if it's going to rain or not tomorrow. <laughs> let's give them something really to bet about. Let's, let, let's give them a high octane, Best fighters in the world duke it out. You can bet on that, you know? So, you know, I, I, I got to commend uh, Dana White for doing a good job of keeping everything together and, and finding a place for this, man. The fights will go on. And I'm excited to get locked in that octagon again. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about uh, your old friend, John Jones. We saw the news that came out about a week and a half, two weeks ago. He got arrested. DUI, DWI, the, the gun charges and stuff like that. We saw your brief reaction on Twitter. You know, how do you respond to it a, a week and a half or, or two weeks later? Yeah, you know, you would think that, you know, we've never seen anything like this before. You know, we're going through this pandemic, you know, this unprecedented time, you know, the coronavirus. People are stuck in their house in their houses. And you would just think that everything is just it's the craziest time ever in life. But then John Jones gets caught by the Albuquerque police again for what the seventh or eighth time. 
Everything is normal in the world, people. I promise you. John Jones is still getting caught. He's still a dirtbag. He's still cheating on his wife and doing drugs and doing steroids. And we can almost go back to normal soon. So, so hang in there, people. You're going to be uh, out of your houses soon. The world's coming back to normal. John Jones is still getting caught, and he's still a piece of shit. And hopefully he goes to jail soon. I haven't been able to talk to anybody about this since Sunday night, Colby. But uh, did you watch WrestleMania this weekend? No, unfortunately I did. I'm so pissed, man. I heard about it and I heard the rundown, but I'm pissed. I didn't, I didn't get to see it. How was it? It was interesting. It was very interesting with, with no audience. Obviously, I'm sure the, the two you heard about more than any were the, the Boneyard match with Taker and Styles and then the, uh, the Firefly Funhouse. Both of them were just fascinating. Like, I highly recommend you watch both of them just because it's, so, it's, it's just so well done, in my opinion. Yeah. Especially without fans, man. That's uh, those guys are are true sports athlete entertainers, man. To to put on a show like that for the world, you know, while while everybody's at home and watching, and you know, you don't have the same energy from the crowd and 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 the same adrenaline that you get when you walk into a, a full uh, arena. So to see those guys out there putting it all on the line is 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 very. I respect those guys, man. Those guys are some of the hardest workers on earth, and. You know, I hope to join them someday. You know, I got a lot of love and respect for Vincent Mann and what he's done for the business model of WWE. And, you know, my, my thing is I want to go over to WWE and make wrestling real again. I want people, you know, to get behind it and think that it's real. You know, you ain't going off the top buckle on me because I'll, I'll take you out with a double leg. You ain't going to get up there. So, you know, I'm looking to go over to WWE and make wrestling real again in, in the near future. And until then, you know, I'm going to be retiring uh, all the all the old fogies over here in the UFC. When do you think we might see that? 2021, 2022? Like, what, what's sort of your time frame on, on making that WWE debut? Yeah, I would say probably 2021. You know, next summer, not this summer, but next summer. I've been practicing moves and, and really working on my promo and my skills and, and just uh, control and slowing things down and, and understanding the art of wrestling and and uh, I want to I want to make sure when I go there, I make the biggest splash possible, you know, because I'm not I'm not here for, you know, a long time. I'm here for a good time. And, you know, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to make money. So, you know, when I go over there, I want to make, uh, you know, brings trucks loads of money. And, and everybody knows I, I do good business. I pull numbers. People want to see me. I'm entertaining, you know, and people are, uh, you know, divided on me. They hate me and they love me. But, you know, it's all the same thing. At the end of the day, do you have a finisher picked out? Not yet. That's that's, uh, <laughs> that's that's to be determined. You know, I've been talking to Bobby Lashley, my friend. You know, he he's a he's a teammate, and uh, Kurt Angle. Obviously, I walk out to his music for my fights, so you know, I keep in good touch with those guys. And Ronda Rousey, you know, the greatest woman's mixed martial artist of all time. You know, it's good to learn from her and see her and and how she's handling the the transition from MMA to to pro wrestling. So you know, I think I'm gonna have a good grasp of it. I grew up uh, amateur wrestling and. And, you know, I know how to act. I know how to sell. And, and everybody knows I know how to entertain. So, you know, I think it's going to be a smooth transition when I go to the WWE in 2021. So you've, you've spoken with Rhonda since she's made the transition? Yeah, I've spoke with her a couple of times, you know. And, you know, I, I actually went and watched her when she invited me out to uh, Monday Night Raw when it, they had it in Miami in American Airlines Arena. So, you know, I went backstage, hung out with her and just chatted with her a little bit. She... It was just crazy, the story she was telling me. She's like, man, Colby, let me tell you the serious, the best thing about this. You know when you go in for a fight, man, how much nerves are going in. You don't know what's really going to happen. It's so scary. You're petrified. 
man, you show up to WWE, man, you just love it. You're so excited, man. You just want to learn and get better and, and put on good performances. And it's just the energy levels and, and the adrenaline is just completely different. It's just, it's so much less stress in my life. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy I made it over here and, and I want to keep working hard and keep winning more world titles and keep beating people up. A couple more things before we let you go, Colby. I appreciate the time very much. I, I know you spoke with our good friends over at Submission Radio a couple weeks ago. You apologized. You mended fences, so to speak, with Dustin Poirier. There were others on your team that you didn't plan on mending fences with, one you have already mentioned in this conversation. Has that changed at all over the last couple of weeks? Have any more fences been mended here or everything's still the same here? Oh, yeah. Those guys are all my friends, man. Joanna, Dustin. Jorge, those are all my teammates, man. Those those guys would never say anything bad about me. They would never do that. They only say nice things about me. So, you know, those are my teammates, and I have nothing but respect for those guys. And uh, last thing for me, Colby, what's the message to, to everybody right now, to the UFC, Tyron Woodley, anyone who's listening and watching right now, what's the message here as, as we look to get you back in the octagon and make this big fight happen? My message to Tyrone Woodley, Marty Fake Newsman, Dana White, you know, anybody else that, that wants to come get this work, I, I'm here. I'm here right now. I, I raise my hand. I want tagged in. Let me in the octagon. Just give me the ball, Dana. I will run it into the end zone. Let me save sports. Let me save, you know, this dark time. Let me give light in this dark time. Let me save sports, put it on free TV on ESPN. Everybody knows I'm a main event fighter, so I'm not fighting anything less than the main event. And let's do this, man. I don't care. Let's go to Dana White's Fight Island. I, you know, you could put Tyrone Woodley's dead body with the sharks out there on the island. No one cares about him anyways. So let's do this, man. Let me Give me the ball, Dana. Give me the ball, UFC. I'm going to save sports, and I'm going to do it for the people. Always a pleasure, Colby. Crazy times in the world, crazy times in MMA, and and here we are talking like the like the good old days. Hopefully, this all gets squared away, it works out in your favor, and we can come to terms and and get you back in there. I think everybody wants to see that fight at this point. We've wanted to see it for a while now, and hopefully, we can make this happen. Thank you, Colby. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Good talking to you. Stay safe out there, man. And and uh, you know, we'll catch you on the flip side. There is only one Colby Covington, ladies and gentlemen. So now you've heard both sides. Colby says he wants that fight. If it couldn't happen at UFC 249, he says he wants to do it. After UFC 249, he mentioned uh, Fighter Island. Uh, that, that's one of the misconceptions that, that, that even fighters are, are having right now. The, 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 the Fight Island, having the private island, those are for the international fights. They have a place locked down, which reportedly is Tachi Palace. That's reportedly booked from April 18th. And then every weekend for the next two months, once that event takes place. So there's plenty of time for it. There's plenty of space for it. And I think if you're if you're the UFC right now, especially if you want to get things back to normal and give this thing a big boost, you do everything you can to, to get this fight booked for a main event sooner rather than later. That's a fight everybody wants to see. It's just going to be massive if they can put Covington versus Woodley together. As we head to our final conversation, let us check in with one of the top contenders in the UFC's heavyweight division. He prepares to face Jairzinho Rosenstrike April 18th at UFC 249. Let us check in with the predator himself, Francis Ngannou. All right, we move ahead to our final guest of the show. As you have heard by now, this man will face Jairzinho Rosenstroik April 18th at UFC 249. Let us welcome the Predator, Francis Ngannou, to the show. Francis, how are you? 
I'm good, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, crazy times in the world, but in terms of your fighting career, you have a date. We have a reported location. You have the same opponent now. How are you feeling now that you actually have a date for this fight? You know, I'm feeling really good. Um, it's been a very um, tough process, so we didn't know exactly what's going to uh, happen. But at the end, we finally like uh, make it and know uh, where it's going to be, when the, where the fight going to be. So I'm very happy about that. You've been a guy that's been asking, waiting for a fight for a long time now. It'll be around 10 months or so between fights by the time you step into the octagon. As everybody knows, this fight was supposed to happen at that Columbus, Ohio event on March 28th. Once that event was postponed or canceled, were you beginning to think to yourself, especially with everything going on in the world, I might be waiting forever to fight Jairzinho or anybody at this point? Yeah, um, that's why I said it was kind of like a frustrating, but at the meantime, uh, when it got uh, get postponed, you you know, you couldn't blame nobody. It was just the world going crazy and everyone was victim. And obviously uh, more people was uh, going through a lot more than you, you know, with this uh, uh, coronavirus out there. So, I mean, I kind of like uh, found my way to stay positive with it. How have you been able to stay positive? What are some of the things you've been able to do to to stay positive throughout this whole thing? Well, I've been I, I've been doing my workout, my home workout, and you know, think about those people who are out there struggling, uh, being a victim or whatever. At least I'm healthy, I'm safe, my family are safe, and I'm grateful for that. You know, sometimes we kind of like skip on top of what is more important because we just chasing like something which is uh, less important and we don't even take time to uh, be grateful for what is important. Well said. There's uh, there's obviously a lot of questions surrounding this event. Some of those were answered earlier this week when Dana announced the entire fight card, but you were in the news a few weeks back. You were telling the guys over at Submission Radio that the UFC did have you tested for COVID-19. Have there been any more tests since you had that conversation with those guys? Um, no, 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 no more tests, but, um, you know, I've been, uh, trying, I try to stay, stay, uh, away to be quarantined no matter what, you know, because at the end of the day, I don't want to get sick. Nobody want to get sick. I think we are all scared about, uh, this shit, but at the meantime, we don't want to give him, uh, everything, you know? Right. Have you been given or your team been given any information on how this event will be handled from the medical side, you know, from testing, doctors, things like that? Have you been given any sort of assurances on that during fight week? No, we don't have a, we don't have an update about that. We were, I was talking about that today with my coach, Eric uh, Nixik, and uh, we were talking about uh, thinking about what uh, the USA might do for the insurance part or the something like that but i'm sure there's something um they are working on something i i'm pretty sure there is something that uh, they are working on i'm gonna be like uh, the insurance of the guarantee 
So you feel confident when Dana says they're going to go above and beyond to make sure that the fighters and everybody involved is safe, uh, you know, during this event, you feel confident that that will be the case? Yes. Honestly, I feel confident about it because uh, I believe I believe what he said. And also, uh, the most important thing is not like they are just throwing us out there. They're going to be out there with us. So, and I'm... I'm pretty sure they don't want to get sick uh, either, you know. So everyone want to be safe. So that, uh, it's good for everyone to have a uh, good and uh, safe environment to be at. I know you spoke with our very own Damon Martin recently. Uh, there's going to be a couple of features coming out soon on MMAfighting.com with, uh, in regards to that conversation. But now that we're here and we have a date booked, how are you feeling about it? Like, would you describe it as ex excited? Like any additional nerves with everything going on in the world? How would you describe that feeling right now? You know, it's very, I'm very excited about it. Um, basically like now that the, um, the whole world has, has uh, stopped uh, doing event and then the UFC is uh, definitely finding a way to do events. So we're gonna be the only one out there performing, doing a show. I mean, it's kind of like exciting. And, but at the meantime, it's kind of weird a little bit, like uh, being in the arena, empty arena fight, you know, so it's it's kind of a weird feeling, but we'll get you excited at the meantime. Have you experienced anything like that before, <laughs> fighting in, you know, maybe not in an empty arena, but with a, with a very small crowd like that? Uh, not like that. I mean, even my first fight, my first fight ever was in the arena with at least 2000 people in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this is going to be new. Imagine a Francis Ngannou punch landing with, you know, with all that echo and you can hear it all. It's going to be really weird to, to, to hear and watch, right? Yeah, but uh, I don't think why I will be there fighting. I'll be uh, listening to the sound of my uh, punches. That's right. You know? <laughs> I'll be focused on my opening. <laughs> in terms of your career, Francis, you've had, you know, you were on a good streak and then you had a couple of setbacks in the octagon. But since the Derek Lewis fight, man, you have been on fire. Three straight wins, three first round finishes, and you've spent like just over two minutes combined in the cage over those last three fights. What would you say is the biggest difference between the Francis and Ghana we saw fight Derek Lewis to the guy we're going to see on April 18th? Well, there's a lot of difference uh, between that guy. I mean, I'm going to go a little bit uh, one fight back. The, the Francis Ngannou who fought Stipe uh, in January 2018, you know, was a guy that uh, was still learning. I mean, obviously, I'm still learning the sport. I'm still learning uh, the martial art. But uh, I have understand a lot. I have gained a lot of experience and know how to handle fight, you know. So it's a lot of um, way more experience and a lot of a lot of better fighter than it, back then. Even though you didn't walk out of Boston with the title that night, would you say that you that you needed that night, even though it didn't go your way? Would you say, like, in terms of progressing your career and evolving in the sport, you needed that fight with Stipe? You needed a night like that to sort of go back to the drawing board and, and figure those things out? Definitely. That was something uh, – that is something that uh, I always think uh, that will happen at some point in my life. So then uh, – Rather be that uh, uh, soon than later, you know. Um, you know, I am 
I didn't have a, a long career. I start I started MMA very late, so I didn't know um, a lot of things in it. And my rise was very, very fast. So I kind of like skip on top of something. Then from there, I have to um, have a better understanding uh, for fight. You know, um, I was before that fight. I was always concerned, like uh, whatever, what. What do the third round, third round looks like? You know, obviously in that fight, I had to. Uh, even though I was tired, I wasn't looking good, but I was able to do like five round. And then when you go to something like that, you kind of like understand that okay, if I get prepared, if I uh, train very well, I'm gonna make it. You know, so it's not as bad as I thought even though I didn't work out with the title that night. But yes, I think that was a um, very, very big uh, step up for me. And now you're going to fight Jarzini Rosenstrike, who is uh, very confident right now, Francis. Many people believe that the winner of this fight will fight for the belts the next time they step inside the octagon, whenever that may be. And you've said in multiple interviews that you have not been overly impressed with Jarzino. Why is that? Why haven't you been impressed with him? I mean, I don't know um, about you, but I haven't seen like see a fight that uh, got me impressed. Like uh, the fight that uh, led him to this fight, he just got lucky on that fight. I mean, I'm not underestimating his skill. I'm not like uh, taking him uh, light, but uh, I haven't seen like something that I'll say, "Wow, this guy is an impressive fighter," you know. Obviously, it's good. He has a um, good knockout power. And he's right to be confident. I've been there before, you know, like when you have a win, uh, win straight wins, you feel like you are the man, you know, you're confident, you have everything. And that's exactly where he is. Do you feel like you're you're kind of looking at yourself a couple of years ago, looking at Jarzinho going on this streak right now? Do you feel like you're you're kind of seeing a little bit of, of the old Francis Ngannou in Jarzinho? Yeah, uh, exactly. I kind of like understand what has happened to him, you know, like his feeling to be above everything, to be like uh, the stronger man, you know, but it's going to take him time. It's going to take him time to understand how things work. So this is going to be a good, a good learning experience for him is what you're saying. Yeah. One of the, yeah. One of the, one of the questions I've seen constantly since this card was announced is why is the fight between Jorgen DeCastro and Greg Hardy higher up on the card than your fight with Jarzinho? Like, they're on the main card, your fight's on the prelims, and I don't think you fought on the prelims since you made your UFC debut back in 2015. Like, how did you react to seeing your name on the prelims and having Hardy and DeCastro being on the main card? Okay, so, um, I mean, my reaction, I was very happy because I asked for you know, it's kind of like uh, the prelim, the supposed prelim, uh, which is the uh, ESPN uh, card, yeah. is the one that I wanted, you know. And then the main card is a pay-per-view. I think the um, the ESPN one, who was the one that I supposed to fight, my contract was uh, on the ESPN. Um, so who has more audience and free for now, so... I wanted to fight on um, on ESPN, so I asked 
we we asked the UFC to uh, put me on the uh, ESPN. So, so that was happy. that was our, yes, that was our call. You you don't have to tell us, Francis, but uh, if you want to, that's fine. But do you know where this fight is happening? Like, you don't have to tell me where it is actually, but do you actually know where this fight is going to happen? Well, somewhere in California. So you know it's in California, but I mean, like I said, you don't have to tell me, but are you aware of this right now? Or are you just feeling like I mean, it's somewhere I, in California? I, I heard from some uh, journalists today. I mean, I haven't heard nothing from the USA, but yeah, some uh, body term is going to be somewhere there. All right. <laughs> do you have uh, do you have an official prediction here for uh, this fight a little over a week away for for UFC 249? How do you see this fight all playing out when you close your eyes and visualize it all going down? Well, when I visualize this fight, uh, it might be some fight we're gonna end. Maybe the first or the first the second round. Me do what I used to do, <laughs> you know. Obviously, I'm gonna take um, I'm gonna take time to like um, set and read through his game, feel good, and then strike. Couple more things before we let you go, Francis. I appreciate the time very much. I know it's uh, it's a difficult time in the world right now, but you have done a lot of good. You've been giving back. You opened up a gym in Cameroon. You've established the Francis and Ganu Foundation. How fulfilling has that been for you on this journey? Uh, personally, something that uh, has been really, um, really great. I love it. You know, I do it. I do it because I want. And also, like when I see um, when I see this those kids uh, back then. I mean, they just record me myself a couple of years ago, and I can still see myself among them being one. I'm capable of doing something for them uh, at the meantime for myself uh, today, you know, it's like a personal goal. It's something that I really, um, something that is really important for me. Have you been able to, to speak to people back in Cameroon? How has that area of the world been dealing with uh, the, the coronavirus and everything that's happening right now? Uh, so far, they are, they, are, they are doing pretty good. It's not as bad as here. Uh, which I hope is going to stay like this, but um, it's very, it's not too much uh, like here in the US or in Europe. So life is still going on. You know, obviously they close the border. Uh, kids are not going to school anymore. Uh, they're trying to uh, reduce the, the risk to, to spread it out, but there is not a lot of, um, a lot of uh, victims. A lot of cases. Well, that's good. That's <laughs> finding some silver lining here. I, I wanted to mention this. We've been seeing a lot of YouTube comment content from you recently. I know you've been teaming up with the great Andrew Faraday, the gentleman behind that great documentary series, The Fight Game. How have you been enjoying putting out your own YouTube content these days? Well, I, uh, since we were just home, like um, I have to do, I was bored. Then I just have a idea to do my own home workout. Then I started to do the home workout. And um, it gets some good recall. So um, I started start to do it on YouTube. And I think I'm going to keep doing like posting it every time now. 
That's great. I think I've been enjoying it. I think a lot of other people have been yeah. enjoying it as and, well. Uh, and, uh, yes, and obviously for the documentary, uh, Andrew did a very good job about that. They know, he handles everything about the documentary. Uh, the only thing I have to talk and tell you everything about it, and he put stuff together. Yeah, it's, it's really good. I highly recommend you check it out on Francis's YouTube page. And uh, lastly, Francis, when it comes to UFC 249 and these fight cards and what we're all dealing with these days, there are people who are all in for this and there are people who are completely against it. So, you know, what is your message to everybody when it comes to this very different time in the world? Not, not just from a fighter's perspective, but, you know, from a human being side as well. You know, uh, for, my perspective as a human being for this, you know, um, we are as scared of something. We have something to go through. We have some risk to take. Even without the uh, coronavirus, every day we go out there and take risk. You know, we step in the octagon, put everything in the line to put the show to take care of our family. And uh, this is the same thing that we are trying to do. Uh, the quarantine didn't leave. The coronavirus didn't give us a notice. Didn't let us uh, a time to get prepared. Uh, people might don't be uh, ready. They wasn't prepared for this, and then still have to feed their family. And if they see the opportunity to go out there, I mean, it's still like going to the grocery store to find a food you know, for the family. Like when I work to the grocery store, there's more people in the grocery store than I bet you'll be in the in that arena, you know? So uh, then I'm like, okay, what's the difference? At least I'm going there to take this risk for something. I have to take a lot of risk worse for less than what I'm doing right now. Way more uh, risk for nothing, you know? So, I mean, personally, um, I know that sometimes you have to take risk. You have to like think and just do what you have to do, what you like to do. Like I just get excited to be out there, fight, you know, think about that instead of staying in my uh, house. It's something that really get me excited and uh, I would take the risk, you know. Great stuff, Francis. I really appreciate this. I know there's a lot going on in the world, including your return to the Octagon next Saturday, April 18th, against Jarzinho Rosenstrike. And, you know, my perspective is, you know, whether you're, you're into this or not, at least this event and upcoming events will be able to at least feel normal for, for, for a few hours watching these fights. So I appreciate the time. All the best to you for the rest of the preparation in the fight itself on April 18th, Francis. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Thank you again for the opportunity. And nice talking to you. You as well. Thank you. All right, there you have it. Francis Ngannou wrapping up episode number two of What the Heck with Mike Heck on MMAfighting.com. Really enjoyed this one. Hope you guys did as well. We're going to do it again next week. Remember, the show drops every Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on the MMA Fighting YouTube channel. And then uh, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, so make sure you subscribe on YouTube, wherever you're listening. If you're an audio listener and you get these shows immediately upon release. So why take those extra steps when you don't have to? Work smart. Not hard. That's what my dad always taught me. In addition, 
You'll get all of our reactions to the big news. You get the A-side live chat on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And then you get the great Eurobash podcast with Pizza Carroll and Niall McGrath. Those drop on Tuesdays. So in other words, we have you covered during this crazy time in the world at MMAfighting.com. And we have no plans on slowing down anytime soon. So again, thank you for watching and listening. Until next time, have a heck of a week, everybody. Fox Media Podcast Network. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.